Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, The Scurry Report is back with an in-depth review of one of the most anticipated games of the year, Unfathomable. Plus, I join Marty to talk about horrified American monsters and fangs. And you know, this episode would not be complete without a taste test. This time, it's Mountain Dew Apple Thrash and Pumpkin Moon Pie. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 243, Drowning. My name is Marty. I'm Tony with a sore back. Oh, what'd you do? I have no idea other than I got older. I don't know. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. No, you don't. You you are in prime shape, my friend. You are looking good. You're exercising and running, and I'm I'm just falling apart. That doesn't mean the back ain't sore because after our bu- after our bu- after our barbecue event on Saturday, my back was really sore because those chairs aren't as comfortable as what they should be after sitting for about ten hours in them. They're they're hard back chairs. And after you used Tony to our E-Win racing chair, sitting in uncomfortable wooden chairs kind of gets to you after a while. And I think that's the problem. I wish I could roll this chair to my desk at work. I've now returned back to work. So mm-hmm. uh, I've got to use the old standard issue office chair, not these comfy chairs that we got used to for 12 plus months. I mean, which actually reminds me, uh, we were talking to Ewin Racing, who makes the chairs that we have, and they were telling us there's going to be a big uh, Black Friday sale. Uh, this is episodes coming out early November. So they said, keep an eye out for a big Black Friday sale where they're going to have like, like up to 25% off uh, off their list, listed off their stuff. And then with our code RDTN, you can get an additional 30% off. So if you're looking for getting a gaming chair, which we love, or a desk, which Tony, I just heard before we started recording, may be considering getting a desk, which is which are really nice. Uh, you can get a really nice discount. And if you wouldn't mind, if you do, would you go to our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com, and click on the eWin chair picture? Because that's an affiliate link. We are now affiliated with eWin, meaning everything that you buy from them, we get just a little bit back to help support the show. It's not much. Every little bit helps. And here's the thing. If you're like, guys, I don't want to want to give you anything for me using that, for clicking on that. You ain't got to, but you're still welcome to use the code RDTN and get 30% off your purchase. So let me understand this correctly. That's 30% off using the RDTN code. Plus they're going to have 25% off their stuff. So mm-hmm. let me see. 30 plus 25. That's 55% off. That is incorrect. Okay. The math... It's 25% off and then 30% off that. So it's not 55% off the uh, original price. See, when I, you do the math out, it's not exactly 55%. Oh, see, we got we to gotta be very careful with that. Math is hard. It is. It is. Uh, Especially them, them decimal places uh, and percentages. Yeah, let's go back to fractions. I can manage those. <laughs> oh, no, I can't. <laughs> but yeah, COVID pandemic thing, working at home. I know you've been back in the office for a while now. But the whole idea, I mean, so I've been sitting at a desk for a long time. I don't have a sit-stand desk in my house. And so I guess I got used to it, right? Mm, so I got used okay. to my comfy chair, got used to that. And now all of a sudden I've got a, I got my sit-stand desk, a not-so-comfy chair, and I don't know, I, or I'm just old. I think it's the latter, personally. That's why the back is hurting today, and I'm good with that. I'm not. You're not? No, in fact, I was just talking to Vanessa this morning. I said, look, I've never done yoga, but would yoga help stretching and stuff like that? And she went, yeah. 
And I said, well, to find something that we could possibly do together every night, every other night or something, just to get some stretching done. So I run and stuff, but run doesn't really help with stretching out joints and everything like that. And I, and I could use it. Here's the thing. I've always had a weak lower back anyway. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of, is it scoliosis where the spine is curved? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I've had, I have a little bit of that and I always have, and it's, and it's something I've always had to, to deal with. It's not that bad, but like, you know, if you, we played ball or something like that, sometimes the next morning it would be sore because of that, that reason. Anyway, I was just looking for some sort of solution and maybe yoga is the way to help strengthen the muscles of the back. That's what I need to do is strengthen the muscles. So funny you mentioned that Donna has created, she's got, she's got these apps on the TV, the healthy you channel. And we were doing yoga the other day and they kept telling us to go to certain poses and I have no idea what, what pose they are. The, the, the And I'm like, the what? And so you have to look up and then they go, don't look up. Don't look at the TV. Well, I don't know what you're doing. How am I going to do this? So we watched the intro f- for beginners yoga and they went through. I said, I know warrior because that was on my Wii U. I know that one. I, I thought you were going to say Kama Sutra. And I said, that is, I don't know what video you're watching, but that is something totally different. No, mm, I forget the, you know, downward facing dog. And then, but I, a lot of them, I, you can do it without even knowing. I mean, they say plank, and you're always in a plank pose, it seems like now. It's the, the, the slow flow or the flow yoga. But, mm. but once again, we are not a yoga podcast. Thank goodness. <laughs> we might as well be. I mean, can't we just embrace everything? Because wait, is this the first time we've talked about yoga at this length? It may be. Maybe. I mean, I've mentioned it. And here's the funny thing. It's not in the show notes. See, that's how this show rolls. Just things pop up and then there they are. I just don't know how that happens. I don't know where I'm going when I sit down at this mic. But I do know one thing that's becoming standard around here. And that is a beautiful taste test of a Mountain Dew product. And yes, Boobacue, we had a taste test. Okay. We almost had a spewage (laughs) because of the taste test. I brought to Boobacue a particular one from a local chain here called Food Line Grocery Store. And it was only for them. That's what they said. They said it was from for their stores only. And it was called Mountain Dew Uproar. And it was almost Mountain Dew Upchuck. And I was, it was. Well, so what was it? It was like berry kiwi. Is that what it said on the label? I don't know. It's still in your basement. I didn't bring it home. I'm going to pour that. So it's funny. So we had five of us there at the time and it's, Hey, everybody, here's a cup. Let's everybody do a little taste test together. We got a bit of a cheers, kind of kicked off our barbecue event. Everybody took one swig. It's like, that's horrible. But then later on, some more people came to the event and tried it and actually liked it. So I guess, I guess for some people they, they like it, but the five of us were like, Nope. And all of us just poured it right down the sink. We didn't even finish the glass. It it was kind of bland to me after having the, the voodoo mountain dew which I cannot wait. It will be next. Uh, we're recording this on the 25th, on the 31st, as Vanessa pointed out in our last episode, two episodes, whatever. Vanessa told us all about it. We get to hear what it is on the 31st. Donna likes the voodoo as well. What does she think it is? She couldn't get it. She was like, it's berry, very, a very, uh, some type of strong berry. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. but not that Kiwi uproar. Woo. But anyway, well, you know what? What? We got one here, a brand new Mountain Dew to try. And maybe this one's a little bit better. This is Mountain Dew Thrashed Apple. Now, before we crack open this can, Tony, this was sent to us. 
uh, from Patrick and Cincy, who is on Twitter, listens to the show and comments all the time. And uh, he had this there and he said, uh, let me send you guys a couple things. This is one of them. Mm-hmm. He sent us a drink, the Mountain Dew Thrashed Apple, along with a box of pumpkin spice moon pies, which we don't have here either. So thanks to Patrick, we're going to do two test tastes tonight. First a Mountain Dew, then the pumpkin spice, and probably wash down the the moon pie with the, uh, with the uh, uh, what's it called again? Thrashed apple. Thrashed apple with a very angry looking tree on the can playing a guitar. Because he, he's, th- he's a thrasher. I mean, the can is leaning towards a green apple type product here because everything's green, but so is Mountain Dew. So they could be yucking it up a little bit. I don't know. But I'm ready. I'm let's uh, let's pop right. these bad boys. Okay. Yep, it's apple. That's apple. That's apple. <laughs> that I don't, is for sure apple. I don't have to taste that. That is pure Jolly Rancher green apple. Jolly Rancher. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting. Here we go. Here we go. That is Jolly Rancher apple. Oh, that's tart. Oh my god. Whoa. I think I got some seed. Mm. Apple seed. Wow. Mm, that is really tart. I'm loving it though. Mm. Oh, if you like jo- like I said, if you like Jolly Rancher apple, ooh, green ooh. apple. That's that can be what mm. Mm. that is not going. That's good. That, what, okay. That did not mix well with the parsnips from dinner tonight. But that's okay. All right. So mm, without having the voodoo here, which do you like better? This or voodoo? I'm I'm leaning on the green apple right now. I, I may have to go voodoo. This is really tart and sweet. If this was in zero sugar, that would get rid of this sugary aftertaste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they don't make zero sugar of any of these cool flavors. No, they don't. Just the basics. What can we say? I mean, even Code Red's not even in zero yet. Nope. All right. So are we ready for the moon pie? Now, I'm not a big pump, pumpkin spice kind of guy, so this should be interesting. I'm not either. Okay. Honest, I'm not either. So again, this is a moon pie mini pumpkin spice. So we'll just crack open the, the package here. Again, thank you, Patrick, so much for sending these to us. We really appreciate it. If anybody has any unique flavors of moon pies or Mountain Dews, let us know. We like try them. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so, uh, ooh. It smells. It smells. Oh, there's a little bit of pumpkin there. You ready? Yeah, I guess. Pumpkin spice. Mm. That's really good. You don't like pumpkin, but if y'all like pumpkin spice and it's not heavy on the the spice, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it that. It's pretty good. Got a good taste um, to it. Not too much aftertaste. Mm. Like the lemon, I love the lemon, but it didn't have a lot of. Mm. But yeah, that's I'm going to eat this whole thing. This whole this whole mini. So so that's going to be 160 calories for the Mountain Dew that Marty will be drinking tonight, along with Mm-mm. the no. I won't finish it. Vanessa has been dying to try that. To one. try this thrashed apple, she's she's busy. Otherwise, I grab her to come in here and taste this. If she gets if she gets done at some point in the show, I have her come in and, and uh, do a quick test, and she can tell us what she thinks. Yeah. She's been really wanting to try this. Yeah, I have to give it to Donna too. What's left over here, and let her try that as well. All right. Well, there you go. That's welcome. Uh, keep rolling dice. Can we end it now? <laughs> We're done. Pretty much. Man. Again, Patrick, thank you so much, man. This was good. Patrick, thank yeah. How did I'm, pa- I'm digging this. Oh, and he's in his whole box of these too. That's that's dangerous. And I got one. 
A box is 12 and I got one. I'm working on the math here. So anyway, Patrick, thank you so much. How did he answer the question is, is there anything explosive? When you ship things, you know, you got to answer that question. That can could be explosive. Does anybody ever answer yes? Is there anything perishable? Blah, 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 blah. No. no. Oh, if, it, no. if moon pies are in there, no, nothing's perishable. No, that's right. They, nothing is perishable if a moon pie is in there. All right. So speaking of moon pies. Yes. A couple of weeks ago, I went to the state fair, uh, the North Carolina state fair. I have not been to the state fair since we were in college. It has been a very, very, very long time. Have you been recently or have you been in a while? I have not gone since I went when I was in at NC State. So no. Wow. So it's been a long time for both of us. It was a great idea. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on. Yes, I did. I took uh, Rebecca when she was six or seven. So yes, I have been. I forgot okay. all about that because yeah, I remember the 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 her getting headbutted by either a, a goat or something in the petting zoo. Well, that was still 20 years ago. So it's been a while. We were going to go out of town to an apple festival. And my gosh, if you want to find a place to stay in North Carolina during apple festival season or fall, forget it. Places are super expensive. We couldn't find an Airbnb under 200 bucks a night. It was ridiculous. So anyway, so we said, well, let's, let's do something else. She said, the state fair. And I went, yes, they haven't been to the state fair forever. She said, and you know what? They got fried moon pies there. So I went, awesome. So we go to the state fair. It was a beautiful day in Raleigh. We got there and uh, we bought the tickets where we could do the chairlift ride over the uh, the fairgrounds and stuff, which was really nice. So I'm starting to look for this fried moon pie. And I go to a place, fried, fried candy bars, fried Oreos, no moon pie. So I go down another, I mean, basically the state fair here in North Carolina is mainly food a few games and some rides, but it's mainly food everywhere. And it's just amazing food that you get. We hate barbecue over grits and it was Eastern style barbecue. Do you like Eastern style vinegar based or tomato based Western style? Tomato Western. You do? Okay. So this was vinegar based. And uh, you know, when we're in Raleigh, most of that stuff out there is vinegar based. Yeah. We were okay with that. But we said, let's try this other barbecue thing. It was barbecue over these really large tater tots with ranch and cheese over top mm-hmm. of it. Oh, mm-hmm. It was good. There was, you know, there was the bacon stand where it was baked, you know, bacon wrapped chocolate, bacon wrapped bacon, bacon wrapped everything. And so we're, I'm finding all these places that has deep fried stuff, deep fried Twinkies, deep fried every type of candy bar that you can imagine. So I can't find this. So we're going around looking at everything. You know, we're looking at the huge pumpkins that they have there. And we're looking, we're watching the bovine show where they're judging cows and stuff like that. That's fun. I don't care who you are. That is fun. (laughs) So I have no idea how you judge a cow, but I watched a couple cows being paraded around uh, inside the corral. And the guy was judging them. And it's like, well, you know, it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. It's like the, the chest is a little too narrow and the back is a little too wide. I'm like... What are you looking at? They all look exactly the same to me. But I guess to the trained eye, all these cows are a little bit different and you're looking for something. I don't know how you judge a cow. 
Do you have any idea? No, I don't know how to judge a cow. That's no, I have no clue about judging cows, but I guess it'd be like judging a dog. Uh, all the German shepherds look the same. All the corgis look the same. How would you look at the difference? Horses, you know, you're looking at various things on a horse. So you're right. There's probably a checklist that they run through. There's a process, a flow chart. You know, does it have a head? Does it have a tail? Okay, let's work towards the middle. Uh, who knows? <laughs> so anyway so there was you know uh they had pigs there obviously and the, and the cows and, and a bunch of agriculture stuff beekeepers were there showing off their bees and prize vegetables etc so we we're getting into all that so as we're going around these places i keep stopping at food places fry this fry this cannot find it so we're at the end of the day there's one aisle left we're getting ready to leave i said just let me walk down this aisle this last place i walked down and I see a place that called had fried gummy bears. I kid you not, fried gummy bears. So I walked by it and I walked back. I said, wait a minute, just let me look at their entire menu. I walk up and sure enough, at the very bottom of the menu was the fried moon pie. So I threw down, what was it, like $5 on the counter. I said, give me a fried moon pie. And they said, you got it. So they unwrapped a double decker chocolate moon pie, dipped it in some batter threw it in the fryer for just a few seconds, brought it out, poured some melted chocolate over top of it, sprinkled it with powdered sugar, gave me a fork and said, here you go, sir. So I went back. I was holding it up in the air as Vanessa saw me and she was getting all excited because she didn't think we'd find it. And we sat there and we tried this fried moon pie and it was one of the best things I've ever had. It was so good. You know, the only thing that could have made it better, you were mentioning this, is if it would have been a Bacon fried moon pie. <laughs> Wrapped in bacon. Yes. Uh, so anyway, I was so excited that we finally found it. It was it was worth it. Uh, it was it was delicious. The fair has changed a lot since we went. They used to have, you know, like circus freaks and stuff like that. They don't really do a lot of that and they don't do any of that anymore. So they don't have, you know, bearded ladies and stuff like that uh, anymore like they used to. <laughs> One thing I do remember they don't have anymore. So for people who don't know, North Carolina... Uh, for decades was known for its tobacco. It produced most of the tobacco in the United States, big tobacco producing area. And it has been since, I guess what, since this place was colonized back in the 1600s, this place where they found out this, this is a good place to make tobacco. So that's been a kind of our cash crop forever. I remember in college when we went and we were going by this place and they were giving away free chewing tobacco. It was Chattanooga Chew. And uh, they're just throwing out pouches of this stuff. So I've never tried Chewing tobacco. My dad used to chew like Red Man every so often. My grandfather had one of those plugs, you know, the tobacco mm -hmm. plug where you pull out your pocket knife and cut off an edge and chew it. So I said, I'm going to get this. This must have been our, my sophomore, junior year. So we, I can't remember if we were roommates at the time or not, because this no. may have been while you were co-oping. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I thought, okay, I put a little bit, you put it between, you know, the front of your, you know, right inside your lip, between that and your teeth. And about two minutes into this, I got the biggest nicotine buzz I've ever experienced because I smoke a cigar every once in a while here and there. I spit that stuff out and I had to lay on the couch and I'm like, the room is spinning. I think I'm turning green. It was, it was horrible. And I'm like, I don't understand why people do this. I guess you get used to it after a while, but that was a miserable experience. And I took that pouch of tobacco, went to the trash can and dropped it in there and then have never tried chewing tobacco again. 
I was, I'm waiting for where are you going with this? So it was just in general what's, it's just an anecdote. Okay. I thought maybe something had happened while you were there at this state fair that, you know, how no, they've I'm just changed. Saying com- I'm comparing it how it used to be. It used to be totally different where they're handing out free tobacco and now, you know. Yeah. I'm sure they safety inspect the rides now too. Cause I, I remember. <laughs> Probably so. I still didn't get on it. It's like, I don't have anything to do with these rides. I, I remember getting so sick riding a ride there that it was kind of probably like your nicotine buzz. I was like, okay, I need to go lay down somewhere. This is not good. Cause I was like, Ooh, this, uh, cause I get motion sickness easy. So, so I'm glad you have fun at the state fair. You found the moon pie. I think that's something you should just, let's just, Hey, forget this podcast thing. Why don't we just go open up a little eatery of deep fried moon pies? Just have a state fair type eatery. It's like, you bring it in, we'll fry it for you. Hey, Tony, hold on, hold on. Before we move on, uh, Vanessa just walked in. She wants to try the Mountain Dew, uh, let's see, what's it called? Thrashed Apple. So here we go. She's going to give it a shot, everybody. Yeah, because I've been staring at this in the refrigerator for I don't know how long I've been wanting to open it. <laughs> it's been in be there like, for a while. Do it. It's like a commercial. Do <laughs> we only had one, so we had to save it for tonight. Yeah, so I cannot wait. So what do you think? It tastes like I thought I, like it would taste, and it smells really, really good. I wish it were a tad sweeter. Whoa, because I said it was really sweet. I don't think it's really sweet. Is it? So we both said Jolly Rancher Green Apple. I was just going to say it's a Green Apple Jolly Rancher. I I was just going to say that. So Donna tried it. She likes Voodoo better. No, no, no. She likes Thrashed Apple better. She likes Thrashed Apple better. I like Voodoo better. And she likes through And Tony liked this one better, right? Thrashed Apple. And I liked Voodoo Mm -hmm. better. That. Oh, that's sweet. It's like we should be together, Aww. like y'all should be. Yeah, this has a like a hint of a little sour taste to it. It's, it it's tart. Like mm-hmm. It's very that's tart. It. That's it. It's tart. Do you want the rest of it? Uh, I think I can drink the rest of it. You can. <laughs> it's it's pretty sweet. All right, cool, cool. All right, no, I could take it a little bit sweeter. It's a little tart. <laughs> now, now you need to go try the uh, moon pie uh, oh, pumpkin. Sp- uh, what'd you think of it? It's delicious. It was it's, good, wasn't it? Perfect sweetness. <laughs> There we go. All right. So we got all taste testers done. (laughs) Yeah. And Donna's like, you know, that pumpkin spice. Yeah, I can taste it. But with all moon pies, you never taste the strong flavor that you're expecting. Like when we did the lemon and all that, it wasn't that uh, strong from us. And I will say for us on the thrash, we, you know, like tart. We like lemon. So there you go. Mm -hmm. That's probably where it's at. So, you know, you got to go on vacation to the fair. Donna and I also went on a vacation finally. And we did a trip through Virginia, got to see our daughter. And then we also did the Civil War battlefields. We did Gettysburg, Antietam, and Appomattox. One of the things that I found interesting about this, there's there's two things I want to share with you very quickly, was I have the original Avalon Hill Gettysburg game. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. And, And Battlefield game. And I brought it out after we got home. And I said, Donna... I think you should play this. Oh, And she's like, whoa. And she goes, why would I want to play that? I says, well, it's Gettysburg. And you just spent a week with me traveling these battlefields and seeing these things. And so I've laid the map out for her. And she goes, oh, there's uh, um, Culp's Hill. There's Cemetery Ridge. Uh, oh, I know these places. And, and I'm like, yeah, you do. And she goes, well, this means something to me. I would enjoy trying this out. And I said, oh, so cool. finally, 
I know. I said, so it took me to spend X amount of dollars and travel in a car for six plus hours. And now I get to play a war game with you. That's a win. That is awesome. How long does that game play? Um, I think it's, uh, well, it can play 40 minutes to four hours if you do the whole Gettysburg campaign. Oh, okay. Can you So you can pick a section like a certain number of years or days or weeks or something to play or something like that? Well, Gettysburg occurred over three days in uh, 1963, July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So you can play July 1st or you can bring in the 2nd or you can bring in the 3rd. That is cool. That is cool. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I, I was uh, actually thinking... Um, uh, I downloaded off Steam Fort Sumter from GMT mm. is on sale. It's mm-hmm. like four dollars, so I got in and played it. Ooh. It's like a two. It's like Twilight Struggle, except it's based uh, at the very beginning of the Civil War, Fort Sumter. So you there's action cards. Some of them the secession players can use. Some of them the Union can use. Plays about thirty minutes. I played the tutorial last night. So if it's still on sale. You might want to go pick it up, something we could play. But I oh, yeah. actually may want a physical version of the game because it is it is super light. It is a very light game for GMT to play, but I, I, I enjoyed it. Right. And a lot of people don't realize Fort Sumner was a union fort that secessionists fired upon. And all this history is coming in. I mean, you explained it on. And I hope that you get a chance to go up to see Gettysburg. It's it's very moving on all, either way, just to think what those gentlemen were encountering back yeah, then. Yeah. And it was like, how many thousands of people died on that battlefield? Do you remember? I don't want to cause fire. It was over, I think it was over uh, 50,000 on both together. I, I knew it I was, I mean, a lot of blood uh, was shed on that, that field. It's just, oh. Brutal. I mean, well, I mean, that's the war that Americans. There are more Americans lost in the Civil War than any other war, right? I mean, absolutely, not not, not even close. And Antietam was the bloodiest day ever in battle for the United States. That the number of people that they lost in one single day. But aside from that, but this led me to the other thing. So we're driving through and we're having to do all these hotels mm-hmm. that we're just having a, a big time, just trying to find hotels here and there. You know, so you hit or miss or something like that. But when we're done, I get this survey from Holiday Inn Express and I'm answering the survey and there's this one question on the survey and I thought it struck me kind of funny. Okay. And I, and I wasn't sure how to answer it. And it was, um, how would you rate your overall guest room bathroom experience? Are they referencing my bowel movement <laughs> when I went there or are they referencing <laughs> what I saw there? I'm not sure what this is. So when you think about a poorly worded question, Think about that. I mean, when you first read it, I was, I know what they were saying. I mean, was it a good bathroom? Was it clean? That kind of stuff. But the first time I read it, I was like, wait, what? Okay. I was with you. I, I took it the way I think they intended to be and not, yes. not necessarily. Did you have a good experience with your bowel moving in our bathroom or not? <laughs> did you enjoy your shower? Uh, did you wash yourself well? I mean, how was your teeth brushing at this? And I'm like, how would you rate your overall? I'm going to give it a 10 because I had a good experience. <laughs> there was toilet paper. The water ran. I give it a, I give it a 10. Okay. Y'all really need to think about your survey questions a little bit better from that standpoint. Two things. I had stuff for the show to talk about uh-huh. and I get to play a battlefield game with Donna that. And then after I learned, and, oh, and the pages, it's only one page of rules. And I showed her that. And she goes, that's awesome. She goes, wait a minute. What's that little book? And I go, mm, that's, don't worry about that little book. <laughs> she goes, why? I go, that's just a scenario. Don't worry about it. 
Oh, she goes, what do you mean that's the scenario? And I go, well, this is how you set it up and things like that. And so she was actually reading it and it had the pictures of all the battles and things like that. She goes, I remember this. I remember seeing this. I was like, okay, well, well, that's pretty cool. But get back from my vacation. And then I have another amazing event to go to, which you host. Boobacue. Yeah, the barbecue event. Uh, we didn't get to do it last year. And uh, this year is basically we have friends over. A friend of ours named Steve, he makes us some amazing barbecue. He made ribs and riblets and pork. Uh, pork pulled pork and some chicken it uh it was absolutely amazing i actually brought out some barbecue sauce that i bought at the state fair it was from a person who had award-winning barbecue sauce in 2019 it was ghost pepper barbecue sauce it was western style which means it's tomato based absolutely amazing not too hot but just enough heat steve makes his own barbecue sauce which was really good so we had a bunch of people bringing in food and we sat and we we uh, ate all day long that's when we played unfathomable which you're going to be hearing out uh, hearing about uh, pretty soon uh we got some other games at the table got uh there's gonna be a couple that we played vanessa and i played together that we're going to be talking about uh later on in the show there's some uh, one, uh, you got to play one, Tony, that I think we're going to talk about in the future because I want to try this, the Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. That looked really cool because I heard it's like a condensed version of Terraforming Mars. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Uh, it didn't seem like it from a play standpoint mm-hmm. as far as time, but it did have a really nice uh, mechanic in it that we both liked from Roll from the Galaxy. Roll for the Galaxy. What is it? Roll for... Roll. Man. Roll with. Roll in. Roll, roll for the roll. Galaxy. Yeah. It's roll. Insert proper word here. Galaxy. <laughs> There you go. No $5 for anybody. So yes, uh, we'll talk about that later because I want to make sure we have enough time for Fathomable because y'all were really jonesing uh, over there on that game. I, I hate I, I missed out on that yeah. experience, but Boobacue was there and I can't wait to hear about Horrified. Guy, it was, it was so good. Such such a great, just such a great, great time. And uh, it was great to see everybody again. There's some people that were there we hadn't seen, gosh, since this whole thing started. So that, that was amazing. And uh, before we jump over to our big uh, segment, there's a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, Tony, you mentioned about uh, historical games you're going to be playing Gettysburg. Uh, there's going to be an online event called SD HistCon. It's like San Diego Historical Con. And this is going to be... Uh, hosted by some people, including like a Harold Buchanan, friend of the show, who's a designer. He did Liberty or Death, uh, which is a coin game, which I still have on the shelf. I need to get uh, to the table. We love that theme. Need to try that out. I still need to teach you the coin game, Colonial Twilight. I need to get that done. But I'm going to be uh, participating in some events over there. It's going to be on November 12th through the 14th. Uh, you can search for SD Hist, S-D-H-I-S-T Con. I can put a link in the uh, the show notes for the uh, events table. The, I know I'm going to sit in like Saturday night at the end of day events, just chat with some stuff that's going on. Uh, I may be playing a game online. We're still trying to work that out, but be looking for that November 12th or the 14th. So you're, if you're interested in historical games. Uh, oh, our good friend David Thompson is going to be showing off uh, Undaunted Reinforcements. Uh, during this Ooh, online, there you yeah, go. so that's going to be played. So there's, it's not just GMT games. It's just also games with some historical, uh, aspects to it. So I'm very excited to sit on that. I'm kind of getting into historical games now. I think it's really cool that you're going to be playing Gettysburg. Maybe that's something I can try out uh, sometime, uh, also. And before that on November 5th through November 7th, Vanessa and I are traveling to Knoxville, Tennessee for the fun K-Town 2021. Funky Town. Funky Town. Oh, you got it. You got it. Yeah, I got it when I saw the emails. 
<laughs> so she and I are going to be hanging out that entire weekend at the hotel for the Funk Gay Down 2021. And I'm going to be leading a couple game sessions there. We're going to be teaching people games. I know I'm going to be teaching just one is one of the games. I'm trying to pick what other game I want to teach. So there's a list of them. I'm going to pick one. But again, there's an event uh, out there. You can see all the events that are going on. I also put a link to it. Uh, for the schedule and everything. If you're interested in going that again, that again, that's November 5th to the 7th. When this episode comes out, that'll be this upcoming weekend. So maybe if you're local, you can go by GMT as a host there. Bessier Games is there. So I hope to see some of those people there. So Vanessa and I are looking forward to that trip. And finally, I just found out today that a game that we're going to be playing this week and talking about on a future episode, Zapotech from Board and Dice. We want to play that at BBQ, but didn't get it to the table. So we're going to play it this week and talk about it next episode. Bonita who runs a very successful Twitch channel, uh, board game Twitch channel. I got the game and saw that I got it and has asked me to come on and do a stream with her and play Zapotech online. And as of right now, that's going to be November 15th from eight to 10 PM Eastern time. And uh, so I'll put some links in there to that too. So that's some upcoming events that I'll be hanging out at and doing some stuff with. Well, that sounds amazing. I especially like the part where you said you'll be putting in links. (laughs) <laughs> so i will hold you to that's that. fair I have, I have the links and everything so i i will add the links to the show notes so whatever app that you're using if you scroll down uh hopefully the app has the links work for you tony does a great job of time stamping everything and uh, so we'll have just three quick links uh either in the timestamp or look for his discussion down below they're going to be on the page somewhere. Tony takes uh, does a great job of, of putting links out there, especially the games that we talk about. He'll link out to Miniature Market, uh, who are obviously friends of the show, uh, so you can go uh, check out the games there. Yeah, I like how you loosely said discussion at the bottom. I would agree with that statement 100% loosely. And when you're back from Knoxville after Funky Town, maybe you'll get a survey from Funky Town. Maybe you'll get a survey from the hotel as well. Yeah, maybe so. And I'll tell them about my bowel movement experience. Tony, you probably haven't seen it yet, but I went and saw the Dune movie in the theater. Uh, I don't know much about Dune. I said I would buy the book and read the book. I didn't read the book. The goal was to read it before the movie came out. I never even cried to the cover. But I went and saw the movie and thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it was it's a great experience to go see. Uh, Hans Zimmer does the soundtrack. Does so good. And the cinematography is mwah. I hope it does well enough to, for part two to come out, which would basically uh, wrap it up. But if you like Dune and you like the detective series from uh, Portal Games, then you might want to go check out Dune House Secrets. This is the brand new game from Portal Games. It's out now. They use some of the detective mechanics based in the Dune uh, universe. It's using some of the art and everything from the movie. So if you go to see the movie and you see the characters from the movie, you're going to recognize who they are and obviously all the house names and everything like that. It's available now. It was a hit at Essen. It did really, really well there, along with Dreadful Circus, where we got to play with five players. And that is the way to play the game. We played originally with four, but when you add in five, there's two people putting out cards for bid, which really makes it interesting because now you have a choice of where you want to place your bid. And maybe you go to the one who doesn't have as many bids and hope that maybe you can get that card cheap. So 
still very much enjoy that game and all the new players that we taught the game to very much enjoyed it too so if you want to go order these you can go out to portalgamesus.com to get dune house secrets and dreadful circus We are doing something that we have not done in well over a year. We are bringing back a scurry report. I don't know where to start here, Marty, because I don't know if I've heard these guys' voices in a, long, in a while. And also, the game you're going to talk about, I'm going to be able to check out for the next hour and a half, two, three hours. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. Mark, Nate, welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names podcast. I don't know if you remember us, but that's who we are. I remember you guys. Yeah, so good to be back. Thanks for having us back. The first one was Mark. The second one was Nate. So Tony said, "Like, oh, I got this intro. I got this intro." And it's like he comes in and goes, "I don't know what to think about this. I don't know what to say." No, I know. That's exactly what I wanted. I got the intro for this. That was what he wanted to to say. say. Was that he didn't know what to say? (laughs) No, I want that was the intro. That hey, I'm here. This is the last y'all going to hear from me. Here's the thing. That's your choice. We wanted you to play. You were sitting down, ready to play at BBQ, and you found an excuse to leave that's true the table 100 true and he pretended like he was falling on the sword like i'll be the good guy go play with the other group <laughs> it's okay i'll take one for the team i saw you wiping, wiping the sweat off your brow as you were walking away like <laughs> barely dodged a bullet there absolutely i will completely own that i am happy to say that is 100 percent accurate from the, your perspective but it was a, you know, you, yeah, social thing. We're getting ready to do. Oh, what are we talking about? We're talking about this game called Unfathomable. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. You would think the person who did the intro would at least mentioned it no, somewhere. No, the person that did the intro wanted out, so he wouldn't have to talk about it because he was going to treat <laughs> it like a normal game night where I can op- crank up the Switch and be able to play my Switch while y'all talk about games, just like we do when we play. <sighs> That's what I'm leading to. Oh, I've missed you guys. For real. For <laughs> reals. <laughs> All right, well, as Tony established, we're talking about Unfathomable, which is really, at its core, a retheme of the original Battlestar Galactica game from Fantasy Flight Games that was released in, I should have looked this up. 2008? Look at there! From 2000. Wow! That sucker's <laughs> 13 years old. Yeah. Dang. And so I, I told them uh, as we were coming on, I want to kind of establish a baseline with where everybody is with the original Battlestar Galactica game, because people who are listening are going to want to know the comparisons between that game, this game, if you own BSG, do I need to get this one, etc. So uh, Mark, why don't you start with your history and thoughts on Battlestar Galactica? Okay, so my history and the reason I know it was 2008 because I knew this was coming, uh, so I looked that up, actually. Uh (laughs) (laughs) He did his homework. Okay, thank you. But so I played BSG at a uh, uh, game event when it was this brand new hidden trader game that had a lot of neat mechanics in it. So I've basically been playing it since 2008 because uh, it had just released. Uh, so at that time, I actually wasn't after my first play, I was not a fan of the game. 
I don't think we had the right group. And we had some people get thrown in the brig that just stayed there basically the whole game because nobody would let them out and they weren't Cylons, so they couldn't couldn't get themselves out. And it kind of sullied the game for me a little bit. Uh, but then I uh, had played with some other people, uh, realized it was a much better game than that first time and have been playing it for years. I uh, have all the expansions and I have my own personal conglomeration of the expansions the parts that i like and i have taken out all the parts that make it a longer game and the parts that i don't like and um have even uh like included marty in on that also a short story is like a marty and another friend of ours basically won't play bsg anymore because i hit them with all the expansions at one time (laughs) and seven players the first time they ever played it and they're just like no no that's too much so that's basically my BSG background. Yeah, for me, um, I was a huge fan of the show. Watched it a few times and have loved the board game pretty much since the the uh, board game adaptation pretty much ever since it came out. I've also have Pegasus, Exodus, and Daybreak, and try to play with all three. Like Mike Mark talked about, you have to find the right module combination that kind of fits your group. Um, and I even love it you know, love the genre and BSG inspired me to try to do my own retheme and game design. And I took that all the way through pitching to publishers and stuff. It did not get published, but that's how much I love this game as it inspired me to go on like a two or three year journey to try to retheme it myself and, and kind of re- refine it. So. Yeah. And I meant to, when I introduced you guys, I should, I should have said that uh, Nate has designed, so designed and have several games uh, published uh, most recently. Maybe it was, was it Sunday split was your most recent published game with Renegade? Uh, that, that was actually the first one, but that's definitely my most successful, like, you know, in terms of what people might know. Okay. And then uh, Mark uh, runs our local gaming convention here, uh, Mega Moose Con, uh, and plus some other smaller uh, cons themed around that. But he's the guy that whenever we talk about Mega Moose Con, uh, he's the, the, one that uh, runs those. So I should have said that earlier on the show to establish the credentials of these gentlemen. Speaking of credentials, Tony, what's your history with BSG? So I saw the original pilot with Lauren Green as Captain Adama <laughs> and um, <laughs> Dirk wow. Benedict as, uh, you know, I think it was Starbuck and uh, was it Richard Mantooth as... Um, Apollo? I cannot remember. No, uh, hold on. Now you're going to that's going to be five bucks. It was Richard. He was uh, the guy that was actually, no. Richard Lonius? What it was. Richard Hack? Richard Lonius was the re-theme, I think. Uh, The listeners are just like, five dollars, five dollars, five dollars, five (laughs) dollars. No, no, because we can always correct it. That's not a big thing. But for as, while Marty looks that up, my Battlestar Galactica game experience was uh, around the one time. Dark Benedict. Why was I saying Richard? Was Richard the other guy that was actually ended up being on the, the, the new BSG? Apollo from the original was in the new BSG, right? I don't know. Yes. Yes, he was. But Dirk Benedict was Starbuck. It is Richard Hatch. Okay. I, th- I thought that name sounded right. Richard, Richard Hatch. Hatch. There. So $5, y'all, that's gone. It's gone. Somebody's going to find a little loophole somewhere. <laughs> no, they're not. So, but I've played the game one time over at Mark's. I, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we can say about the experience. That's all I remember. And that's all I've got to say about that. That's all I remember. I didn't understand what we were trying to do. We had a bunch of boards on the table. Mark said, just throw the dice. And I said, is there any way I can be in the brig and stay there? And Mark said, 
He said, maybe. And I was like, okay, how, how do I make that happen? He says, well, you want to go there now? I said, well, is there another way to me to be out of here? And he goes, yeah, I can eject you into space or something. Airlock, I said, baby. Airlock, baby. Airlock. He can airlock me and then I can go uh, around the buffet. And I said, okay, make that happen. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I ruined three people with BSC evidently. <laughs> It was, you had every board on the table. I, I, it wasn't the time with Marty when you forgot to take out the, you forgot to put something in or take all these out yeah. and everybody was a traitor. That's the one thing I was going to say is that like the one thing I knew for sure, without a doubt, before we did anything with this new unfathomable game, I knew that during setup, I was not touching the loyalty cards, period. <laughs> <laughs> I have a history of that. <laughs> because my history with the game is what Mark just alluded to. The first time I played, there was these boards sprawled out all over the table. And it's like, well, you got this ship over here and you got that ship over there. And there's like seven people and you're I'm like, there's just too much going on here. It was just too much for me. So I said, okay, I'm going to try this again. And this was at another uh, convention uh, in South Carolina that we played at. And this is where Mark accidentally put in was it too many Cylons into the loyalty deck yeah 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 <laughs> yeah okay so, so it was like the Cylons just had no problem come to find out what there was like maybe one human <laughs> it was yeah. one or two humans it, it was uh so my experience uh with bsg was never that positive so when fantasy flight games announced they're going to come out with a brand new version called unfathomable which is basically taking the most of the mechanics of the original game and retheming it with a Arkham Horror themed game. Uh, that's what Unfathomable is. And, and the theme of the game is, is this takes place before most of the events that we know that occurred in most of the other Arkham Horror board and card games. So there is a ship on its way to Boston. And this ship has some hybrids on there that are trying to keep the ship from getting to its destination. And the humans are trying to make sure that they have enough fuel and food and keep their sanity and have enough souls in order to get to their destination in Boston in order to, to win the game. So that's the human's goal. Get to Boston alive. And the the hybrids are the ones that are going to try to keep them from getting there. So this sounds like every cruise that I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> Is there enough food at the buffet? Uh, keep our sanity, dodging all the uh, wheelchairs that may be roaming around the deck and people trying to sabotage you getting off and taking their spot on the excursion. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Before we get into the details of the game, I'm just going to say this before I forget it. The graphic design of the game board and the art on the cards and the miniatures are absolutely top notch in my opinion. Yeah, this is a good time to dive into it. So I, I agree with that, except for the art on the cards. So one big oh. departure is BSG carry uh, kind of um, gives some theme out through the small cards, the small skill cards. They actually have images on them, whereas uh, in Unfathomable, they don't. But otherwise, the graphic layout, I think, uh, and the art themes in general are very good. No, I thought the graphic and the art was good. I, I mean, I agree. I think I like the BSG art a little better, but maybe it's just something that I'm used to more than anything else. So, and uh, I was also going to mention, like, as far as Arkham goes, I'm not an Arkham fan. So, Arkham Horror, Eldritch Horror, 
I, I don't like them. I don't know why. I th- they're obviously great games because lots of people love it. Uh, it has everything that I should like. Dungeon crawl, basically, character development and progression, all the stuff. But those, I just, I'm just not a big fan. But it's not like I held it against it. I have nothing against the the genre. I play the Call of Cthulhu RPG every couple weeks, you know, so I don't mind the genre. And not that I held it against it, but I just figured I'd mention that. The miniatures are top notch though. The the Mother yeah. Hydra and Father Dagon figures are really large. They didn't have to make these this behemoth of, of miniatures, but they did. And the detail is really nice. So those do look good. And I like the art on the board. So uh, Mark, what you're saying is you just don't like games designed by Richard Launius, our buddy, Richard Launius. No, that that's not it at all. I, I like <laughs> Defend, defenders of the realm. You know, I like that game. We play that a lot. So it just, it just doesn't hit it for me. And I've even told Richard Launius that when we've been in cons having dinner or something, you know, so it'll come up and I'll be like, yeah, I'm actually not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that, Mark? Why are you, I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I'm not like a, a big fanboy like Marty for this. Uh, is it just the story doesn't grab you? No, nah, it's just, yeah, it must be that, but it's just something about those, those games. Mansions of Madness, it was in my top 10 for a very long time. But just for some reason, Arkham and Eldritch, they, they just do not hit it with me. As a person who didn't get to play the game, what is it that would entice me to play this game? What is it about the rules? What is it that's going to say, hey, you need to come over here and spend four hours playing this game? Okay, I'll, I'll jump in. That's a, that's a good question. Good pitch point. Mm-hmm. So I will say that like BSG, Unfathomable provides an epic semi-co-op experience where you get to try to work together but also provides like a lot of tension in trying to figure out who you can trust and and these are the types of games that create stories that we tell long after the game is over so while it may take four hours if you're looking for an experience that kind of captures like hand management fighting things on the board trying to you know figure out who you can trust and betray your fellow players and then comes down to some you know crucial like situation like spoiler alert like we had we have a stand-up die roll that people are high-fiving at at the end that is why i spend four hours playing games like this and why bsg and unfathomable hold such high esteem for me I, I would just reiterate on it that the, it's uh, on the social aspects of the game is it's very interactive. You know, you're always going back and forth with everybody at the table, winking, nodding, you know, this guy's this, this guy's that. No, I'm not. And and it just makes for a really, really fun experience and makes for, like Nate said, those those storytelling experiences that you get from games. Yeah, and that brings up a good point is part of the reason I love these socially interact- interactive games is I'm engaged the whole time. A lot of four-hour or even two-hour like other style of games, like Euro games specifically, I'll check out sometimes when other people are playing their turns. And I know some of the other uh, participants in this podcast do as well. <laughs> in this game, it's four hours, but Marty said it before, like it felt like two. And that the whole time, I'm like, oh, wait, what's Marty doing? Why is he doing that? Uh, Marty, that you should have done this thing. What you know, we get into the whole debate. It's engaging that whole time. Okay, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was talking to uh, Vanessa tonight about the game. I thought I thought it was four hours. She said, "Wow, four hours." I said, "But it didn't feel like four hours." And I said, "Because you're engaged the entire time." And I use the exact same comparison with a euro. If there's a euro that takes, let's say, three hours, a good length euro. 
And on your turn, there's not much you can do while other people are taking their turns. You you do tune out. Maybe you're trying to decide what you might can do on your turn, but all of us have played Euros to where the board state may change before it gets back to you to where you can't really plan out too far in advance. And then you do check out. But this game, number one, the turns, player turns, go extremely fast. You're literally, on your turn, you get some skill cards based on the character that you're playing. You get to take two actions, such as move, active, do some actions based on your cards, maybe attack somebody. There's a Mythos card that comes up that's basically the game playing against you. It may spawn some new monsters, etc. And then it's the next person's turn. So a player's turn moves very quick as opposed to maybe like a euro where somebody could spend three or four minutes trying to decide what they want to do the biggest part of that player turn is that mythos phase and that involves all players that's a crisis that the whole group is dealing with so those two actions usually take like 30 seconds and then Mm -hmm. you spend a minute resolving this mythos crisis or you know maybe uh some decision the the captain or the keeper of the tome have to make so and that's one thing when i mean i i did watch half of the video before i got there did you fall asleep during it uh, yeah i was at night actually hey, we're, we're talking about the watch it played video uh, i'm not gonna throw anybody <laughs> under the bus at this time is that that rodney smith guy who, who, who was it that said, what is the optimum speed for watching those Bert, videos? Bert, Bert, one and a half times. Yeah, it was Bert. Well, Bert says one and a half times speed because that that is, uh, he's very concise on his instructions and everything. That's very precise job. on everything he says. But he says, if, if you're very attentive, you can probably crank it up to one and a half speed and still probably catch everything. Mm-hmm. He's just as nice at one and a half speed. But, oh, yeah. And the, <laughs> and the box flips faster at the beginning. <laughs> But so to your point, Marty, you were talking about the actions taking, I mean, when I was looking over the rules and I I was like, okay, I've got these actions of, of move or do actions on the card or use whatever. I was like, this isn't going to take very long for me to do my turn. And I especially like the fact that, and if I remember correctly, and I know this is a small minor detail when I hate when we do this, but move to any part of the ship. I didn't have to sit there Mm. and move multiples. And that right there, I was like, okay, I can see where this is going to go very quickly. That's the thing about this this game and, and BSG to a certain extent is it's they're elegant in their design and the fact that it's this big epic game, but at its heart, it's take two actions, do the uh, the event or the crisis card, or I forget what they call it, the mythos phase in, in this game, and uh, yep. and then move on. And, and that is the, the progression of the game. And, you know, the actions are built into the board or the actions come from your hand or your character card. And you can just kind of build on it from there. But at its heart, it's a real simple mechanical game to play. Nate brought up a very good point that I have not thought about. There are so many games where uh, when it comes to the time for the game to take its turn, and a prime example is Vanessa and I play Arkham Horror third edition. And when the mythos phase comes around and you have to pull tokens out of a bag and resolve that, you're having to go through these steps, but not much is happening that player decisions have to be made. Uh, Nate, you made a great point. The game is really based around that phase when a card comes up where, say, for example, you were the captain and the mythos card may say the captain must decide what happens in this situation 
And you got a decision to make, and then you could make it on your own. You could discuss with people. That's where people may be trying to stab you in the back because you don't know whether you can trust them or not. And then there's a skill test that may have to be passed. And maybe we could should explain, uh, maybe Mark, can you explain basically during the mythos phase, how does a skill test work? Because that's an integral part of this game. Uh, absolutely. Uh, the way this, it works is you have a hand of cards from uh, six different categories. You'll get a uh, Mythos card, and it'll have, say, two different colors on it. It'll have red and blue on it. And everybody who wants to contribute and help make that Mythos succeed, uh, maybe it's got a number 12 on it. Uh, You'll add your skill cards to a pile, along with two additional skill cards that come from the Chaos Chaos deck. Not the Destiny Act. And uh, so so nobody knows what they are. It keeps that element of mystery into the deck. And then anybody who doesn't put in red or blue cards puts in another color. It counts against the skill check. So you put them all in a pile. You shuffle them all together so you don't know whose card is who. And then you turn them over. And if you make it the number, so if you make 12 or better, then you succeed in the skill uh, uh, you succeed in the mythos card and it'll have a condition or a result on it. It'll say, if you succeed, you gain a food or it'll say, if you fail, you lose to fuel. What happens is, is those dials are so critical and so crucial and everything becomes an emergency and you end up having to spend all your cards and it just turns out to be real tense and then everybody gets real excited if you if you make that skill check then if you fail it you know everybody's like oh man or maybe sometimes you just decide that you know this one's not that bad maybe we'll just save our skill skill card for the next one that really is an emergency so you don't do that one. Marty mentioned that it's integral. I would say it's maybe the main mechanic of the game because as Mark mentioned, it's it's really hand management. These skill cards are used in these the mythos crises whatever skill checks and they're also <laughs> used as action cards to, to do on your turn and are usually quite powerful many of them can be played in response to something the card will tell you when you can play it like during a skill check or after a skill check or when somebody when you roll a die and so they're so crucial the management of these skill cards in your hand i would say it's like the principal part of the game there are other major components but that's really what drives the tension yeah, for sure. And one of the things uh, on there that I didn't mention is like a lot of times you'll have uh, the cards are numbered like one through five and you'll have a card that's a five, but the text on the card does a really, really good thing. So it's like, yeah, I could help pass this skill check, but then I won't be able to do this really, really good thing that I want to do on my turn. So you have to have to make that decision. We all know that tough decisions make a great game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned those dials, uh, like the the food. So on the board, there's four dials. They each start at a value of eight. Again, I mentioned them before, but there's food, souls, sanity, and fuel. Anytime during the game, one of those dials at zero, game over. That's it. And many of these mythos cards, the fail condition is losing some of that, some of those resources. Every once in a while, you may run across mythos where you can actually increase those resources and also there's spots on the board 
where you might can increase uh, your resource or potentially lose it. Like, for example, there's a place on the board of the ship. And by the way, that's what you're playing on is there's a ship in the middle of the board and you're moving around different spaces in the ship. You have interior and exterior sections of the ship. One of the places is the boiler room. The goal of the game is to get to Boston. And on the board, there is a, a travel track that you're trying to progress down. And one of the things you can do in the bowler room is I'm going to take an action in this bowler room and to progress the uh, the track, the, the, the travel track. But when you do so, you must make a, a skill check and you roll a die. And if it's, is it, uh, if it's greater than six? Yeah, so it's the die roll plus the card you discard to make that check. And that's 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 kind of plays into exactly what we're talking about and highlights a key difference between BSG, both in the same example. So great job, Marty. Yeah. So you're going to get to advance that track regardless. The question is, is if you play a high enough skill card and get a good die roll, you will not lose a fuel. But there's a chance that you will, and you're just risking that to try to, to, to move along, to try to get to Boston, basically. And when you progress down that track, there's like five spots on that travel track. At the very end, the captain is going to draw two waypoint cards, and he's going to make a decision of which one he's going to play, and they have values on them. He's going to pick one to play, and the goal is to get the sum of the cards to, to equal 12 or more. Once that happened, oh, by the way, and after that, the, the, the track resets. So you go back to the beginning, have to move another four spaces to get to the end. Once there are the total number of cards equal 12 or more, you just basically have to travel down that travel track one more time to win the game. Doesn't this sound amazing, Tony? I want to play again right now. <laughs> I would like to play. I would like to try it. I'd like to get see how... The speed of this works out. Y- y'all, y'all can tell me. I mean, I saw you sitting over there for four hours. I was able to get two games in while y'all were playing one. <laughs> yeah. But the, but it, it's did you have fun? And that is always the important moment. <laughs> you, yeah. you saw us. You saw us in the room, like talking smack and high fiving and with our head in their hands. I mean. And we'll talk about how the game ended in uh, just a second. But I, I do want to talk about something that I think is also I really liked about. Battlestar Galacta in this too, and that's loyalty cards, because at the very beginning of the game, everybody's dealt a loyalty card. And then halfway through the game, uh, when the total value of those waypoint cards equals six or more, you get a second loyalty card. Now, here's what's cool. The first time you're dealt a card, you may be human. The next time you're dealt a card halfway through the game, all of a sudden you may be dealt a hybrid card, and then you got to switch in on the other side. But if you're dealt a hybrid card at the beginning, you're hybrid throughout, regardless of even if you get a human later on. So your loyalty potentially could change halfway through the game. And what's interesting, the way the decks are set up, the first half of the game, nobody may be hybrids at all. And then everybody you think is sketchy, they're really not. Everybody's playing to win. And then in the second half, uh uh-oh, based on the number of players, a certain number of hybrids will pop out and then the game really turns on its head at that point. So hold on, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. So suddenly you're changing loyalties? I mean, this is a different deck? It's Man, so what made me commit to the other side? I don't get it. What do you mean commit to the other side? I mean, why would I want to go to the hybrids? Well, you're you're given a card. Like that, you are now a hybrid. But in theme, what's making me do oh, that? <laughs> I see what you're saying. I, I don't know. Well, if that isn't that part of a good game theme. I will say thematically in Battlestar Galactica, I think this is stronger in Battlestar Galactica because of how that story works. 
literally halfway Ooh. through the series, it's revealed that some of the humans are actually Cylons. And don't know so it. it. And don't know it. And it really works well. That part of the theme is not as strong and unfathomable as it was in BSG. I've played before not been a Cylon and had no Cylons in the first half of the game and just played exceptionally well and been doing real good. And then I become a Cylon and I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I'm never going to make this <laughs> deficit up. I've, I've got us too far. So I get the ship to Boston. I'm a human. I win. Okay. How do I win as a bad guy? You keep the ship from getting to Boston. Yeah. <laughs> How? How? There are three ways to lose, I think. Uh, Marty mentioned any one of the resource styles goes to zero. You lose. A human to lose okay. immediately. If you need to place a deep one on the board, that's one of the miniature pieces for the basic miniatures, and there are none left, then you lose the game immediately as a human. And the third one was if this if you actually sink the ship. So the ship can take damage in the form of damage cards on the locations on the ship. If there are six damage locations on the Atlantica, the Atlantica sinks, and it's kind of hard to make it to Boston with a ship that song and speaking of which those mythos cards there's a lot going on with those mythos cards we talked about the skill check but also at the bottom of our icons and it'll tell you what's going to activate it could be mother hydra it could be father dagon it could be the deep ones themselves and so uh mother hydra is the one if she's out beside the boat she's going to start damaging interiors of the ship if it's the deep ones that are activating, if they're in the water, they're going to crawl on the ship. If they're on the ship on the outer edges, they're going to go into the interior and start killing people and passengers and damaging the locations. So you have to mitigate the damage that can uh, be taken from all these monsters that are on board. You could do that by attacks or there's another track that's on, on the board um, that's, that is a ritual track. And also on the Mythos card at the very bottom, it'll tell you which track you're going to advance. You can attract the travel track, the ritual track, or your choice. I'm going to throw this back to you guys because we can start talking about some of the differences. And I believe one of the differences between BSG and Unfathomable was the concept of this new track, the ritual track. Yeah, and that, that those those are the two main differences that I wanted to highlight whenever you guys invited us to talk on the show. Um, so... As Marty mentioned, now you have two tracks. And in Battlestar, I'll kind of compare Battlestar. Everything revolved around that uh, the travel track, basically, uh, the destination track. Um, that was the main way that you advance the game to try to get to your final destination and win as the humans. It was also the main way to get away from the threats in space. Whenever you jumped, you left behind the Cylons and had a, a brief reprieve where you could kind of regroup and re recuperate a little bit and, and re and get your strategy going. In Unfathomable, it is not like that. So whenever you reach the end of that travel track and the captain draws a new waypoint, the monsters are still that are on deck stay on deck. The monsters in the sea spaces stay there. And so you're just setting your, your waypoint, your next waypoint. And so you can't escape the monsters solely through the, through the travel track at all. It's only there to progress your to your destination. Spell deck or the ritual track is what it's called is is how you deal with in mass with the the deep ones and I really think dividing those two tracks up mechanically like your two goals of advancing to the port and running from the bad guys now is broken mechanically into two different tracks and so when you're given that choice of which one to advance it's much richer much more tension also easier to sabotage which is a key point 
to think about when you're when you're kind of evaluating these games. And so I think that is the single best uh, improvement probably that they've made from BSG to Unfathomable. And so, Mark, what happens when you get to the end of the ritual track? When you get to the end of the ritual track, all of the monsters go back to the deep. You pull them off the ship and put them back to the deep unless they're on the interior. If they're already in your interior, then uh, you're kind of host, to be honest. So the deep <laughs> ones go back off the board. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely because right. Because if none are in the supply, and that's kind of a key thing, that's the only way besides killing them to get them back to the supply. Because if the supply is empty, you lose. So it's kind of a big... You just uh, saved them five bucks there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to cost them five bucks, and you were trying to save them five bucks. But also, if you get to the end of the ritual track, and one of your characters is on the deck, on the exterior, or passenger tokens are sitting yeah. out there... They get wiped off the board, too. The characters are sent to the sick bay, and the passenger tokens are resolved, meaning they're flipped over, and they could decrease one of those four valuable resources that we talked about earlier. So you don't want those to be resolved. In fact, one of the actions you can do is rescue a passenger. If you're in the same spot as one of those passenger tokens, you just pick it up off the board and put it back on the stack. That's pretty much it. There are some skills or some things that may happen during the game where you you say you're going to risk a passenger. What you do is you roll a D8 and you take a passenger tile and just basically put it on wherever that dice roll that was each space is numbered and it just sits there. Monsters are going to try to attack it. If it does, it flips over and resolve. Or if you get to the end of the ritual track, it's going to, they're going to go away. So you got to be careful with the ritual track too. It could be that a lot of characters are on the board and then the person who's playing the hybrid wants to get to the end of that ritual track to wipe everybody out real quick. True. And that that's, uh, just puts another decision and more tension in the game, right? It's, it's like, can do we risk those passengers or do we wait just another round and try to rescue a couple before we actually pull the trigger? Or maybe if I'm a trader, I'm choosing the ritual track instead of the travel track because we're not making an advancement toward our goal. I'm just sort of priming that pump instead. So mm. I love that those two tracks. That was my biggest improvement. Yep. I was going to completely agree with that. I, I really did like having the, the track split up like that to where you have two different decisions to make. Yeah. I, I really like that. And Mark, you got to play as a title called the keeper of the tome. What was that about? So the keeper of the tome was essentially the president from Battlestar Galactica. You have your, your own deck of cards and it lets you do uh, special things. For instance, uh, one time I was able to turn food into fuel uh, which really helped us out, uh, or help y'all out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it it basically just takes the place of the president and and gives you your own deck of cards to do special things. So I'll just say this here. I'll, I'll put it right here. I think that my character was probably a little overpowered in the game, and I think that in the future it's gonna get nerfed somehow. And, and the main reason I say that is because when we had those hordes of, um, I can't even, I can't remember what the deep little points. guys are. Deep, I want to call them old ones. And I'm like, no, they're not big enough to be old ones. And they're not <laughs> young ones. So when we had those hordes of deep ones coming on the ship, I was able to just, you know, use one card, take two actions, and basically pull, push them back and put us back in safety. And I think that was probably a little bit too powerful uh, in the game. But on the same time, 
there were a whole bunch of monsters. And if I hadn't been able to do that, we were pretty much done. And we'll talk about characters. So uh, there are 10 different characters uh, in this game and you'll pick a character to play. It'll give you a little bit of a special ability, um, a starting uh, feat card, uh, which I think most of them were basically once per game. You get to do something really cool. And, uh, and then an item, you get to have an item. So from what I understand from you guys who are very much into BSG, item cards are a new thing. As a big fan of Arkham Horror games, I'm very used to my investigators and people getting items, getting guns and explosives and having item an item deck I can get through and build up my character. Uh, from what I understand, that's new, correct? Yeah, I take it back. Items were the best improvement. The tracks are <laughs> close second. <laughs> items were so cool. So, yeah, you're right. In BSG, what, the abilities you have when you start the game are all you're going to get. There's no character art, character progression, anything like that. And items, you you, you have to go to a, usually the cargo hold to get items in this game, I believe. And they come mm-hmm. in two types. They're items, uh, like equipment, and improvements. Equipment you can have like up to four, I think, and improvements you can only have one active at any given time. But it really felt like my character was gaining these cool abilities, similar to Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror, that allowed me to kind of refine my specialty. In BSG, you start with kind of a class and a type of cards that fit that class that kind of define your role a little bit more. Whereas in Unfathomable, I felt like your role was more defined by your titles and then your the items that you got throughout the game. And I, I was real excited about the items also, but I never got an item. You had a starting item that I had, but I was never able to go to the cargo hold and get an item because I, I always had something else that was more important for me to do. I had to move that track up. I had to, you know, get these, uh, deep ones off i had i never ever got to get an item but yeah i I definitely like that concept in the game but what thing is though is that um if you never got to get an item maybe one thing we should have done is another action you could do on your turn is trade so somebody could have come to your location and go here here's an item that maybe you're looking for now 2020 hindsight as i was a human and you are a deep one or a cultist can't remember which one you are i'm glad i didn't Occultist, yeah. When um, we hadn't even mentioned about, there's every, there's a lot of deep ones, but there's a configuration of the game where if you have an even number of people, one of you will be a cultist, which basically your win condition is basically you want to get to as close to the end of the game as possible before the ship is sabotaged in, in order to win. You want to be on that last time through the travel track. That's the only time that uh, that you can win. But anyway, so yeah, item cards, I thought, oh, very, very thematic with the previous games that you've played from Arkham and Eldritch, et cetera. So I want to circle back to the other main difference that I wanted to highlight when comparing to BSG, and that is how the monsters activate or versus the ships activate. So as Marty said, there's like an inner and outer ship space, and then there's a sea space, and then there's the deep. Uh, and so monsters will spawn from the deep onto the sea spaces. And then when they activate, they'll try to basically march closer towards the center of the ship and start damaging the ship. Uh, for BSG fans, this is a, re- a mechanical re-implementation, really, of the Cylon fleet board from the Exodus expansion, which is one of the best, probably, additions or refinements of BSG, I think, through the expansions. And so it, it kind of, they changed the layout of it and it doesn't look the same. So if you don't think about, you know, if you haven't played, it's not going to seem similar, but it mechanically very much resembles kind of that uh, silent fleet board. Uh, the, how the, all the monsters activate, the actual 
rules are a little different, but it's going to feel familiar to old BSG players, and you're going to get kind of the the steps you have to go through and kind of uh, have that memorized, you know, an hour into your game. Yeah, I think it was a uh, really good how they incorporated that uh, sideline fleet board on there because it's not obvious. I mean, it's not, it doesn't just jump out at you. Like it was like three or four turns into the game. I was like, Oh wait, that's the sideline fleet board that they put in right there. And it's just actually part of the ship. So yeah, that, that was good. So wait a minute. I, I'm paying attention again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he woke <Yeah>. up. <laughs> if I'm a BSG player, it's going to take me an hour to understand this game, or am I going to have a quicker learning curve? Oh, much quicker learning curve. The, the okay. main, One Ooh. of the main differences was how monsters activate versus silent ships. You're going to have to pay attention to that because it is mechanically a little bit different than BSG. It's going to feel familiar, though, and you're going to have it memorized after an hour where you don't have to refer to the cheat sheet. That's kind of Mark and I kind of after the first couple activations were like, okay, yeah, spawn two deep ones into the deep or okay, they warp into the, one of the front of the ship spaces. Now, I will say that one of the things you can also do in your turn is attack. You can attack another character. You can attack a deep one. However, there wasn't a lot of attacking going on because when we played, it seemed that the deep ones congregated together. There was never really a stray one that you can go kind of pick off. And you didn't want to be in a spot with deep ones because if they activated and there was nobody else there, they would attack you and send you to sick bay. So we thought, oh, cool, we're going to be able to go out there and get guns, go out there and attack them and stuff. And there was hardly any attacking at all, which is where one of the places you would use a dialogue. Yeah, I had a shotgun, and the only thing I shot was Bert. (laughs) (laughs) Bert was a hybrid in the game, and I shot him and sent him to the brig. Uh, but yeah, right. I, it, we kind of felt like since they were so clumped up and there were so many deep ones that it would be better to focus on that ritual track and try to c- cast the great ritual and banish them rather than fight them with our guns. Speaking of Bert, not everybody had the best experience uh, uh, yes. at the table. And and maybe you guys who've played a lot of BSG can, can chime in on this, but Bert got sent to the brig maybe about 75% of the way through the game. Uh, because, uh, Nate, you felt that he was, uh, he was a deep one. He had not revealed himself. And at that point you can only, um, what's the penalty of being in the, uh, in the brig? You can only contribute one skill card to the mythos phase crisis checks. In the sig bay, you only get one card in the brig. You can only play one card. Little did we know he was a deep one, so he couldn't really take the skill checks we weren't willing to go over there and help him to pass his skill check to get out. So for a couple rounds, a round or two, he was like, oh, there's nothing to do. And I think we all kind of said, look, if you are the deep one, it probably makes sense to reveal yourself because it's easier to get out because you can get your own self out by discarding a number of skill check cards that equal 12 or more, and then you're out and you can do your own thing. And that's eventually what he did. Yeah, and I think that's a experience kind of thing with the game because if you were a Cylon in BSG and you got put in the brig, you wouldn't wait over a turn or probably not even two to come out because if, if everybody at the table basically thinks you're a Cylon, you're, you're staying there and you're going to stay in. And I could have helped Bert out, but if I had, it would have outed myself. And so I wasn't willing to do that at that point in the game. So <laughs> I would consider that a little bit of a rough edge, maybe that lingers from that original BSG design. Like I get why it's there. You want penalties for being in the brig. But 
yeah, both games, new players especially, can have a negative experience sometimes if they're stuck in the brig. So I was going to ask, I mean, what's the you I saw that in the actions. You can reveal yourself. Is that the only time or can you do it just normal play and say, you know what, first round boys, I'm a hybrid. I'm coming after all of you. That's the thing, both in BSG and Unfathomable, that people do. You can reveal yourself on your turn at any, you know, on any turn. And so some t- people first turn, they're like, yep, I'm it. Let's go. Now it's a versus game and we're just trying to like sink the ship, you know, overtly rather than covertly. Yeah. And at that point, also, when you reveal yourself, you have different actions available to you and you lose some actions uh, that were available to you. Like, I think your feet card uh, was right. discarded when you reveal yourself. So is it hard to put me in the brig? Is there a penalty? If I say, hey, guess what? I'm a hybrid. Is it more difficult for you to shoot me with a shotgun or is it a lot easier to put me in the brig? Or, and can I put you in the brick? When you attack somebody, you attack another human, you roll a, a D8, which is the the die in the game. And you have to roll seven or eight in order to successfully attack a, another character or Dagon or Hydra. So, And it's worth noting that uh, in, in BSG, in the original game, if you were a Cylon, you never went to the brig. Uh, you went to a different ship and right. you stayed there. And in this game, uh, if you get damage if you get hurt then you go to the brig as your punishment basically instead of putting you out of the game at least until they get an airlock in this game yeah, then you can send them out into well you can send them put them in Davey a jones that's what i yep. was thinking they ought to have keel hauling right like you you need to get rid of somebody you just keel haul them yeah there you, there, you there you go well the, the reason why i'm asking is this was one of the major points of of this game that y'all said there's no way mccree's gonna like this because there's social deduction he's not going to enjoy this aspect of it and it's from the standpoint of, okay, if that's the case, then it becomes a versus game. That's good to know. And I was just kind of curious where that, where it was, there that tension there? Was there that traitor aspect that did y'all keep dealing with that constantly trying to guess one another? Yeah. In our game, it totally was there throughout. Now I do think if a player reveals himself the first turn, that's not optimal play in my opinion. And also you know, definitely weakens overall experience. That's not yes. why you play BSG or Unfathomable. It can't be mechanically be done. It's just, in my opinion, not a good idea. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that 100%. So as we uh, start kind of wrapping up, and I think the big thing is, we, we can, we've gone over what Unfathomable is. If you never played BSG, hopefully you've heard enough by what we've said to understand how this game plays. If you're a BSG player, which these guys are, so... Are there some things left over in BSG? Let's let's remove theme altogether because theme gets. I like BSG way more than Arkham, so let's just remove theme. Is there anything over in BSG that you wish was in Unfathomable? Oh, that's a tough one. Good question. I hadn't really thought about it. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I I was the captain, which is similar similar to the admiral in BSG, and the admiral in BSG gets nuke tokens that he can nuke a space on the board and it feels really cool and powerful having to decide when to spin your nuke you only have one or two and it's very difficult to get more and that you know obviously the captain of uh the atlantica doesn't have a nuke token in this game that's pretty small though yeah yeah and i mean the only thing i can think of off the top of my head is is like an airlock mechanic or keel haul or something along those lines but it's pretty minor but uh, i like in bsg the president president title you there's a space where you can go and call for elections and elect mm. the new president to be able to make those decisions and have that deck if you don't like who has it 
in Unfathomable, the only way to lose that Keeper of the Tome title is if you go to the Brig, uh, you lose all titles. And so there's not really any, a, a minor way to just get a new Keeper of the Tome like there is in BSG. I don't know. That was always fun, like having an election. Well, you can always have a mutiny. You could. And it's, it's just much more severe. Like if I threw Mark in the Brig just to get the title, that would you know that's pretty costly for Mark. <laughs> yeah, true. And for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's that's all minor, though. Honestly, Marty, there's not a lot here that they left that is good. And it sounds like they took some uh, concepts and stuff from the previous expansions and integrated them into the base game of Unfathomable. Yeah, yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. point. It is kind of apples and oranges because the base game of Unfathomable already builds upon the refinement experience of like those last 13 years and those three expansions, and kind of takes some of the best of that. So. It's no surprise that I'm not missing anything, really, because Unfoundable brought along most of the cool stuff. Just like the, uh, I mean, we talked about the Exodus board, but also like the boiler room. That was actually from uh, Pegasus. It was on the Pegasus ship, but they actually put it in the main game here. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a few things like that. Yeah, there are mutiny treachery cards or mutiny cards are in here. That's an expansion. Is that okay? So that's an expansion. So what the treachery cards are is once you uh, reveal yourself, uh, you are able to draw from the treachery deck, uh, which is some really nasty stuff that you can then use. It includes actions, and basically uh, you can throw those into skill checks, and they're always just counted as negatives. All right. So here's a question, and and I've seen some people ask this. Hypothetical gamer comes in and go, I go, all right, Nate, Mark, look, here's the deal. I've got BSG sitting on the shelf, man. Oh, man. I've got all the expansions. Is there any reason why I should buy Unfathomable? Maybe. So if you like the Mythos or the Cthulhu theme, you know, we, we said ignoring theme on the last question, but this one you can't. If you like this theme better or at all, then maybe you'd want to go for Unfathomable. If you're a huge fan of like the experience that BSG creates, like probably Mark and I are, even though we have the base game and the hard to find expansions and our house rule combo package and all this history. We love the game so much. We might want to have unfathomable because it is different. And so for me, it's a maybe, but I think, I think you might. I agree. I've been trying to convince myself that this game is not better than BSG. <laughs> and that's fair. Me and myself have been having a real hard time with each other because I'm not sure that that's actually the case. I actually think I may enjoy this more than BSG as much as I like BSG. And I I mean like we said before I you know I've invested a lot in the in the BSG. I've got it exactly the way I want it. So, you know, it's like, I know if I buy Unfathomable, I'm going to play either Unfathomable or BSG, and it's just going to leave a game sitting on the shelf. So what do I do? So I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Uh, Hey, I'm that gamer who asked the question. You said you were fighting with yourself, and you said you might feel Unfathomable is better. What was the reason for that? Because I know early on, Mark, I'm the game of this coming. I heard you talking to somebody over here. You said, you don't even like Arkham Horror themed. So why in the world would you say that Unfathomable, what's in it that you like better than BSG? Now, I think Nate hit the nail on the head with, and he said, that, you know, there's 13 years of development in the game. And it's just like, uh, we mentioned this on Saturday. It's just like the Game of Thrones second edition, right? I mean, 
Yeah. You know, if somebody had Game of Thrones mm. and all the expansions, do they need the second edition? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But this one, I just think that the two tracks, for one, makes it better. Items. Items makes it. I don't, the two things that jumped out when I, when I uh, was watching the video before I fell asleep was that, that you were going to get items. <laughs> you were going to get items and you were going to get to attack your fellow players. Those two things really jumped out at me. And then the two tracks, I, I saw it, but I was like, man, it's not going to be any big deal. But it's a huge deal. It makes a huge difference in the game. And I just, I think that makes it better than Battlestars, much as I hate to admit it. Because there were several times during the game where we said, dudes, we got to sacrifice the travel track. The number of deep ones on the board are crazy. There's only two left in the supply. Those two go away and we have to spawn again. We lose the game. So then we focused all of our attention on that ritual track and left the travel track alone just to try to clear out the board. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's where it comes. That's where the tension comes from with those two tracks. And it, they did a great job with it. They really, really did. And talking about speaking of stories. So we played for four hours and the situation (laughs) is, is that Nate and I were humans. Uh, We have got 12 points showing on the waypoint cards. We are one step away from getting to Boston. Meanwhile, uh, Mark and Bert are basically one's a cultist, one's a deep one. They're trying to sabotage this entire thing. It gets to Mark turn, Mark's turn, and you smartly, Mark, say, my only play, honestly, is to go to the boiler room and hope to fail the check because there's only one fuel left. And even though we can advance the track, I think the I think it resolves first. You lose the fuel first, which will set you at zero. Game over at that point. So you pull out that die and you go, okay, the skill check. Look, I just got to roll six or less. I got this. And I go, hold on, stop. I have a skill card here that says add two to your skill check, which essentially is now if you roll five, six, seven, or eight, you'll succeed. So now you have a 50-50 chance of either winning the game or losing the game. So a four-hour game experience literally came down to one die roll. And, and it, it was, was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Mark failed. Uh, well, he didn't succeed in see- in using all our fuel. And Marty and I were high fiving and doing the twist dance and stuff and taunting them. It was it was so awesome. You three gentlemen know me very well. You've been playing games with me for a while. You know that long games, not my forte. True. Trader. Is not my forte. True. Arkham Horror is not my forte. Three strikes. Should I play this game? If I walked in and I saw y'all, should I sit down and play this game? Is it an experience for someone like me that I need to, I'm not say buy it, but try it at least. Is it that good? Are you willing to sacrifice four hours of your life to have to deal with me and play this game. <laughs> well, number one, you just came right out of the out of the the box with here's three reasons why I will not like this game. 
Should I play it? And I'm like, no. And I love how he puts it on us. Like, are you willing to sacrifice <laughs> yeah. your time? Here's, these are the three things that I like. Are you willing to accept me sitting here and being grumpy for four hours for those three reasons? Is Probably it? not. Well, I'm, I'm asking you. I've already walked away once, right? <laughs> That's true. Four, yeah. strike four. Okay. So my net, but the question is, did you have such an experience? And we do this with one and we're like, we had such a great experience with this game. I know that these aren't your things. I, we understand this, but because it is so engaging that it rides on the tension that it doesn't feel like four hours that you don't need to break out the switch and play it between turns. You can't. That's the sweet thing about this. You would not have time to do it. Exactly. And that's my point is, you know, those are the three things that I'm not a big fan of in games, but is it worth the the adventure to say, we got to try this with you because we think you will enjoy it. And I also heard y'all say it's maybe with four, it'd be better with five. Way better with five. Yeah. At like BSG, but I, I think I have my answer, Tony, and I think it's yes, and and here's why. You don't like a lot of social deduction games because typically they they boil down to just guessing who the traitor is or not, and that's kind of the whole gameplay experience. In Battlestar and Unfathomable, that's not where all the fun comes from. That is a major source of it, but that's not it. You love hand management games. You love strategy games and resource management. And you love die rolls and all kinds of things that are in Unfathomable. While you might not like the whole debating and finger pointing and he's a traitor and all that, that is part of it. That There's a lot of fun to be had here outside of that. I think that makes it a game that you could enjoy despite not liking traitor games. And I'll, I'll add this point. Uh, number one, I can't get you over the Arkham Horror thing. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's yeah. just nothing I can do about it. It's four hours. I can't make mm-hmm. you like a four-hour game. I can try to help you with downtime, and I do not think there's any downtime here. But I do know with social deduction games, you really dislike it when you spend five minutes and everybody's just talking to each other and arguing. That didn't really happen in this game. And none of the Battlestar Galactica games, it really happened either. There's a little bit of finger pointing and accusation, but typically it's as the game is being played, and the game doesn't stop like in Werewolf, and you spend 10 minutes trying to think who the werewolf is, and nothing's happening on the board. Yeah. As long as you can make that deduction quickly and figure it out, like you said, Nate, you thought Burr was You can't. Uh, You can't make that deduction quickly. No way. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're not going to sit there and spend 10 minutes without moving a piece on the board talking about it. Yeah, I prefer to make like quick snide comments along the way. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, most Mark, what? Yeah, most of it is centered around the uh, the skill check, right? It, yeah. You start looking at who who gets what kind of cards, and then you look at who what kind of cards got put into the skill check, and you might spend a minute be like, okay, Nate's the only one that gets red cards, and the red card was the bad card in this one, and then Nate will be like, no, that was the chaos deck. Of course it wasn't me. I'm a good guy. And we'll all be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you file that away for next time. Mm-hmm. I do something shady, and you move on. And that's pretty much it. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not really social deduction. It's deduction. It's figuring out who's been, how their decks would be. Okay, I see Nate's been taking a lot of, and I love how y'all aren't using the actual names of the cards like uh, Will and Sanity and all that other stuff. The red cards, the strength cards. Yeah. So from that standpoint, is okay, so McCree's been taking nothing but strength cards. So we know his hand is full of it, and he was able to therefore sabotage this because suddenly three strength cards picked up, and no one else has been taking strength cards. So you're able to deduce from that. 
And I will say, I talked about this earlier. So all the character cards have two, three number of skills that is attributed with that character. And that's the type of skill cards that they draw. So it's not like you mm-hmm. get to pick and choose. Right. It's based on your character. I will say a knock from me on this game when it comes to theme is they said, oh, this is based years before a lot of those characters that you know from Arkham Horror. I wish they had not have done that because these characters yeah. mean nothing to me. And I think one of you guys said, I wish Ash Cam Pete was yeah, here with this dog me. because there was a character that had a dog. And so we're used to Jenny Barnes and Ash Cam Pete and Roland Banks, et cetera. I wish they would have made an appearance because we have a history with those characters. So these were brand new ones that just nobody really could you know, attach themselves to. That's a very, very small knock, but I do miss kind of those characters I've been playing with for all those years. So for you, the Arkham experience, that was missing. But for someone like me, I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, exactly. You, you, it wouldn't mean a thing to you. All right. So gentlemen, uh, you know, uh, uh, wrapping up for me, it was a hit. And I said this at the very beginning as of the baseline, BSG was never a huge hit for me because I had two experiences that weren't that great. And it's one of those things I would avoid playing because Mark would pull out every stinking expansion. Then he house ruled everything. And was, I can't keep everything straight. I absolutely love minus the theme. I love Arkham, but minus the theme. I absolutely loved this. I thought it was easy to learn, easy to set up. The turns were quick. The two tracks were very interesting, especially when you had a decision. You choose which one to advance, ritual or the travel. Sometimes it was very obvious. Sometimes it wasn't. Big hit for me, staying on the shelf. Can't wait to play again. Yeah, same thing. Um, well, I don't have it to put on my shelf yet. But yeah, it, it was a it was a big hit. And like I mentioned before, I'm I'm having a real hard time convincing myself that I don't need this game because I've got BSG. And to me, that's a, a huge credit to the game because BSG is solidly in my top ten. Uh, from a whole bunch of games. So to to put it on top of that is a great accolade for the game. And I'll just say, yeah, if Mark and I are both at least considering that question, I think that speaks volumes. I think Fantasy Flight did a great job taking the best of BSG, trying to boil that those all those expansions in that uh, base game down. They did a good job converting the theme. I do miss the Battlestar theme. I like it better. I like Mark. But... Uh, you know, for someone who doesn't have BSG and likes Trader Games, I think this is a home run. And for BSG fans of the actual game, I think it's a home run too to see the streamlined modifications they did and the improvements. So it's a big thumbs up for me. I tell you, it is amazing over the past, what, one or two months, we've had two major epic games that we all loved, Unfathomable and Clash of Cultures. Because uh, these are the guys I play Clash of Cultures with too, and we all just fell in love with that game. And I told you guys the other day, and you couldn't believe it, Bert and I played a two-player version of the game and finished in less than two hours. And it was still a very awesome. good experience. I was surprised it was a good experience. We didn't do a lot of attacking, so it was more or less positioning on a very small map and trying to, to utilize your tech trees in order to try to get objective cards and try to you know win that way. So even with two players, four players, way better, but still two was good. So that's amazing that we got Tony to sit down for at least one four-hour game. <laughs> we almost had him at two four-hour games. So he actually was in the first turn and then just got up and walked away. <laughs> hey, it was your party and I was helping you out. What can I say? Hey, it's my party and I'll cry if I want that's to. That's right. 
But you didn't ask me what I thought of it. But then again, you're right. I didn't play it, but I will play it. Uh, so I'm, wow. I'm very, I'm very interested in playing it. And you've always got to give something to try, and I look forward to that, especially now that you've gotten through the Marty hump of rules. Where oh wait, we forgot to do this. Oh wait, I, I didn't do this. I give FFG credit. There you uh, go. Anytime I had to look up a rule. The rules reference guy was good. Yeah. I don't think we tripped up. I mean, early on we did trip up because we didn't read exactly maybe how like a monster should activate. Oh, uh, there yeah. was a couple, I think there was a couple things. things. I was like, oh man, we should have done this. It should have happened like this. Or, oh, that's right. When you finish the ritual track, this is supposed to happen. Or, oh, one of them was when you travel, everybody slides back one slot. We did forget that because the concept is the boat's moving forward in the water. So all the deep ones move back further along the ship. Uh, yeah, they're in the ocean when they're sliding back, not on the deck. Right. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. When they're in the water and the boat moves, they slide back one space. I mean, they're not, on, they, they don't have their Navy the footing, do they, Mark? No, <laughs> like, oh, dang, the legs. deck was just waxed. Not doing the cha-cha slide. <laughs> no. I'm like, holy cow. And, and maybe by the time I get to play it, I will make it through the 45-minute Watch It Played video. No need. Honestly, Tony, you don't even need to do that. Okay. It is, we can easily teach that. Rodney's video is 45 minutes and he did a fantastic job and he covered everything that needed to be covered. But to be honest with you, if you sit down with somebody who knows how to play the game, the rules explanation will not be anywhere near 45 minutes because the game would already be set up and Rodney takes time to make sure to understand how everything is set up. And the rules explanation would just go quicker because Rodney's very precise on everything. And this is one of those games you can almost kind of, let's not worry about how the mythos phase resolves yet. Let's just go through a turn and you'll see how it works once we get to that point. So you could be up and running without every rule needing to be explained. That's a good sign right there for a game. When you're you able know? to do that mm -hmm. as you're playing, that you don't need to belabor that point. Yes. Let's, yep. let's play it one time. It's not going to impact the game. Yeah, yeah, that's what but the mythos is resolved after everybody's turn. So you'll quickly see how it works. And it would be so early in the game that probably nobody would really do much at that point anyway. Uh, the game's long enough to where that first turn, you're not going to screw it up by throwing out a wrong skill check or trying to, you know, mess anybody up. Gentlemen, that was amazing. What a great experience. It's one of those that I will never forget. And it looks like we have Tony on board for another game day for not only yeah. Clash of Cultures, but now Unfathomable. So we're talking eight hours of games, Woody. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> So Marty, in 1994, Gargoyles was released. That was the name of the show. It was one of the premier cartoons that led to the change in how villains are portrayed in cartoons. What do you mean? It was no longer a villain was always had just a one show event where he was just trying to do one thing kind of like oh those meddling kids you know that kind of thing where they were always getting defeated in every show okay that they were the villains were playing the long game in this series okay and it basically turned the animation of these type of um shows on its head and they were like oh you can do that you can build a character in the villains that is interesting so there was this big following to Gargoyles. Well, Ravensburger has picked it up in Disney Gargoyles Awakening, where you can be the Gargoyles trying to beat Xantos or Demona. 
and their schemes. You're playing cooperatively in order to do this. So another cooperative game from Robinsberger. You can get out, go over to Minch Market, pick it up now. And if you had a, I, I watched them. I, I love the show. I also watched them because it had uh, Star Trek Next Generation character voices in it. So I was able to, you know, I thought that was kind of cool. But anyway, of the four scenarios, three you can do cooperatively. One is going to be a versus. I'm looking forward to getting this on the table with you to play it just so that you can experience it. I hate you never watched Gargoyles, but because it was one of those cartoons that I think you would really have enjoyed. So that is Gargoyles Awakening from Ravensburger. As we teased earlier, I got Vanessa here with me to talk about a couple games that we got to play at BooBQ. And first is the brand new version of Horrified American Monsters, which is a follow-up to Robinsberger, very successful first game, Horrified. So Marty, I remember when you got this game and you showed me and you said, hey, would you play this with me? It's Horrified and it's about uh, American Monsters. Mm -hmm. And I was all aboard immediately because I don't know if we've told the listeners before, maybe we have, that my family is from New Orleans. My parents met and, well, they grew up, they met, got married in New Orleans. So I still have relatives there and we have been going to New Orleans ever since the boys were little. So we found out about uh, the Louisiana werewolf, the Mm -hmm. Rougarou. The Rougarou. We love uh, to talk about the Rougarou, and then we learned about other monsters from around America. So I was all in with this game from the beginning. So the first game has universal monsters that people are very familiar with, uh, Dracula, Frankenstein, um, etc. So this has some ones that maybe people may have not have heard of, especially if you're not in America. Now, Bigfoot is probably a common one that everybody's probably Bigfoot. heard of. Bigfoot, yep. But you Love know what? Bigfoot. The rest of them may not be as common. So there's the Banshee of the Badlands. And then there is Mothman. And Mothman, there was someone in the group had, had who had not heard of Mothman. And it was from, he's from West Virginia? Or Virginia, uh, now I can't remember. I can't, it's I, either I, Virginia or West Virginia. It, well, it, yeah. So that's not $5 because we're not, we're not sure where it's from. Huh? <laughs> Vanessa doesn't know about this. Huh? <laughs> Anytime we make a mistake in our episode. I played the game for free. You don't have to pay me. <laughs> every time we make a mistake in our episode, if our listeners catch us on it, we have to give them a five dollar gift soon Ooh, to get the miniature market. Somebody getting five dollars. <laughs> I want my five dollars. Do you remember the band I used to play with? We wrote a song based on yeah. Mothman. It was supposed to be in a movie. You know, it's, it's something that you're saying that because I just said that to you the other day. Do you remember that song? Behind Red Behind Eyes was the name of the song. And in fact, one of the tokens is a red eye. It's because Mothman has red eyes. He does. Moving on, there's the Ozark <laughs> Howler, which I had vaguely heard of. I had vaguely heard of that one too, but I didn't know too much about Ozark uh, Howler. And we mentioned the Banshee already. Yes, the Banshee. Uh, and then I have also heard of the Chupacabra. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know much about that one either. <laughs> and what's really neat is all these monsters do different things. So when you Wait start- a minute, and Jersey Devil. Uh, right. And Jersey Devil, name? which I was going to mention in a, in a second. Oh, sorry. That, that one I have heard of. Mm-hmm. And all I can think of is the Seinfeld episode when Putman's going around going, because <laughs> he's, he's a big Jersey Devils fan, the hockey team. I don't know why when I hear Jersey Devil, I picture, and I don't know if anyone else will remember this, but the devil that was on the 
can of potted meat way back. Oh yeah. In the 70s. What was, that little red devil yeah, with the, what was that? I think it was red devil potted meat. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I'm gonna have to look this up. Hold on, y'all. Somebody else may be getting hold, another hold, pot. Hold on. A few moments later. All right. It is Underwood is the name of the potted meat with the devil on it. Yeah, we call it potted meat, um, so we looked it up. It's actually called deviled ham. Deviled ham, yeah. Deviled ham spread, and we called it potted meat. That that just sounds really gross, doesn't it? It does. Potted meat. And we also verified uh, Mothman is from West Virginia. You said West Virginia Mm -hmm. or uh, Virginia. So as I was saying, uh, when you set up the game, Mm-hmm. Normal game, you're going to have... Well, we three. hadn't started saying it yet. We've been way off on a tangent. We, we have so been. So now, bringing it back. Bringing it right back. This is a co-op game. Plays up to five people. Which I particularly like co-op games. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this game, you're going to play against in normal game styles. You can increase or decrease the difficulty. But typically, you have three monsters on the board. Any one of these three, and they're all very different mm-hmm. in how they act and how you defeat them. But you as the investigator have a lot of common things that you're going to be doing. You're in this town with a lot of locations like mansions and grocery stores and campgrounds, etc. And basically on your turn, it's very, you know, there's a lot of co-op games like Pandemic that introduce typical type of actions you can take on your turn. I can move, I can pick up things, and your investigators have special abilities that you can also do. So as the investigator... If you've played Pandemic or any other popular co-op games, it has a very familiar feel to it. Oh, yes, absolutely. And if you haven't played any of those, it's very easy to pick up what to do. And I do like how each investigator, there's two things we want to do. We want to destroy the monsters and we want to save the townsfolk. The citizens, yeah. (laughs) The citizens. And so the investigators, like you said, they each have... uh, a special ability mm-hmm. or a special action. One might be you can move to anywhere on the board. One was you could Pick have up. an extra space. Yeah. I mean, an extra movement, excuse me. Uh, one that had five actions instead of maybe the typical yeah, three Yeah, that's or what four I was trying to say. Without yeah. a special ability. Uh, one that I played several times was uh, I could pick up items from adjacent locations. One of the actions yeah. you could do is pick up an item. Items are very important in this game because typically items are used to help defeat monsters also. And it's a two-step procedure to defeat the monster. Like you go through one one set of goals mm-hmm. to figure out how it is you are to then defeat the monster. Oh, that's a good point. And everyone, like you said, it, it was totally different. For example, I thought Bigfoot was really interesting. You know the very popular very cool. picture of Bigfoot where mm-hmm. he's walking through and he's looking over his shoulder? <laughs> yeah. Your goal is kind of... To go get those pictures, you're trying. Bigfoot's eluding you, and you go around trying to snap pictures. And every time uh, there's a particular action that you can do with Bigfoot in order to capture a portion of that picture, each monster has a monster mat, which is usually where you resolve the things you need to do. And there's tiles that you flip over that you can, as almost like a puzzle, slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take actions to slide and get that picture completed. Mm-hmm. And then once you do, you can move on to the next step to help get rid of the monster. Yeah. And just a little uh, something that was really cool about Bigfoot. That Now, the game will tell you a little bit about each monster. Mm-hmm. Some other games that we've played, you have an investigator, 
move action, and then you have the monster action. Now, the thing about Horrified that I liked was investigator goes, monster goes immediately. Investigator goes, monster goes immediately. Sometimes all investigators go, and then the monster. So I liked how the monsters were moving. Mm -hmm. So with Bigfoot, his thing was he moved a lot, and when he did, he left the little the actual footprint token. Yeah, so I like this board. The uh, figures are very nice in their stands, lots of pieces to put on the board, mm -hmm. which is really neat. And so we all like that about Bigfoot, that he actually left his Bigfoot print. And like with Mothman, <laughs> uh, there's these traps that are set up around the board. And you yeah. have to go and set these traps yep. and try to lure the Mothman yep. towards you mm -hmm. in order to capture him. Because on the monster cards, when they flip up, it could do one of several things. One is... A, a new citizen can come out on the board. Mm -hmm. And the citizens are, and investigators are standees. And at the bottom of the citizen, it tells you where this person wants to get to. And as investigator, you need to move them to that place. And the reason why is because monsters also track them down. And if a monster kills a, a citizen... Then you move up a step on the tracker, which is... The terror tracker. Not good. And if the terror. And if the terror tracker ever gets to the end of the track, you immediately lose the game. So that's how you lose. You win by defeating each of the monsters that are on the board. So let's talk about the first time we played it. We played it with five people. We had Bigfoot, Mothman, and Chupacabra. Yep. And it was a lot of fun. We had five uh, what's the right word? Seasoned gamers. We had five Ooh. people who they know how to play the game, right. play games. Yes. Yep. So everyone immediately, I think I may not have <laughs> immediately picked quite oh, up, on it, but everyone immediately picked up on, on what we were doing, how we were doing it. And we just dove right in. I forgot how long it took us, but we came down to where we had it all figured out. I mean, it was some serious co-op work. And go, oh, we left out a main element. Oh my gosh, my favorite monsters. We would roll dice on the monster's turn and that's how you would be defeated or he would get the citizens if they weren't in their right spot. Or there's a special icon on the die that would activate a special ability for the monster that yeah. would be unique per monster. For example, the that's Banshee right. had the skeleton going around playing these violins. Yes, and you actually have violin tokens. Mm -hmm. So tell us the icons on the dice. It was an exclamation point and like a like a burst, and a an burst. explosion or nothing. Right. So blank, everything was cool. Burst, somebody got it by the monster. Exclamation point, monster's special ability was activated. Right. Now, I will say with an investigator, you could toss an item in order to not oh, yeah. take any Sorry. damage. Yeah. Yeah. Collecting items are extremely important in this game to have yeah. them because, again, some of these monsters may say, okay, to defeat this monster, you must turn in, for example, the one we Well, the items the are different colors. Yes. You must turn in three different color tokens yep. in order to defeat this monster is usually the second step. There may be one that says you need to have several yellow items whose total value, and there's little values at the bottom of these items, are seven or more or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So each monster is totally different. So you're trying to collect items. The items also come up on the board from the monster card. So the monster cards I, I mentioned, citizens can come on the board, tokens come on the board, but it also activates the monsters and it tells you which monsters to activate on that turn. And now I forgot, is it seven seven spaces on the terror track? Yes. And so when we played when we played with uh, at Boobacue with the five of us, we got down to the to a dice roll. Mm -hmm. If we survived, 
we had it the next turn to defeat, and it was Bigfoot, I think mm-hmm. it was, that we had to defeat at the end. Or if there was one explosion and we didn't have anything to turn in, we were defeated. And what happened, Marty? Oh, we were defeated. <gasps> we were defeated. <laughs> But it was a whole lot of fun. (laughs) So let me ask you this, because we just talked about this on Unfathomable. We played a four-hour game Mm -hmm. that came down to one die roll, Mm -hmm. and there was a 50-50 chance to Uh determine who Uh was going to win. Do you like that where it's like, we do all this stuff, and it comes down to, are you kidding me? It is just basically one die roll to determine our fate. I absolutely love it. (laughs) I love it. And I love it when sometimes we lose. Because you can't win every time. If you win every time, then there's no suspense right there. I love it. And if you win every time, it's not as much fun. It's like, why play this? Because there's no challenge. You want to challenge. Now, you can increase the challenge, like I said. If three monsters is too easy for you, put four monsters on the board (laughs) and make it even tougher. Hey, or if you want to play it with your parents, you might decrease a monster. Which is what we did (laughs) the next time we played. My parents came over, who are not as seasoned gamers. And we said, let's just roll back the difficulty. And we dropped down to only mm-hmm. two monsters on the board. And mm-hmm. we want to try something different. So we tried the Ozark Haller and the Banshee of the Badlands at that mm-hmm. time. And the nice thing about it being a co-op, they weren't totally getting everything. And even though we were type A or quarterbacking the game, kind of telling them what to do, we tried to leave it open enough for them to... Oh, gosh. They were they were excellent. They would ask questions like, so now why am I moving here? Now... I want to get how many of these tokens? And they did fantastic. Mm -hmm. They did fantastic. But once again, (laughs) we came down to a dice roll. And it could have gone either way. Could have gone either way. We won. And your mom rolled the dice and she was very excited. (laughs) (laughs) So I like those two. I like giving those two experiences because it just, this game is great for anybody, Mm -hmm. for people just learning about this co op and maybe this sort of style of game. Great because it's simple enough that you can pick it up and at the same time enough for the seasoned gamers to actually sit down and enjoy it also the only thing i think about this game that even the seasoned gamers had to work through is how do the monsters work each are so unique that early on we keep having to ask now wait a minute what happens when this monster activates wait a minute what's our goal of this monster eventually you learn it But it did take us a little while to get through those first three monsters to figure out how exactly they work. And one thing that would have been helpful for me, and sometimes you have this in a game, I think, is if there had been a monster card for every player. Mm, Like a reference card. Yes, a reference card. Like we we had the card that gave the investigators moves. Mm -hmm. I wish there had been one that gave us the monster moves because one person, they almost felt not really like a DM, but there was one person had to be in control of the rule book to work the monsters or move the monsters. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a very good point because we were sitting around a decent sized table mm-hmm. and one person on the opposite side of the table could not see the monster mats. Right. On the other side, it's like now exactly what happens when I roll the die and I roll the uh, exclamation point. What what happens there? It would have been nice if there had been a sheet or a card for the monsters. 100% agree. And more than likely, hopefully somebody out there will make one and put it on Board Game Geek. Oh, oh, where okay. you can upload files. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to make a nice little monster reference sheet, there's somebody else out there going, well, Marty, why else don't you do it? That's right, Marty. Why don't you do it? Because I'm lazy. Uh, <gasps> but- no, you are.
Touche. <laughs> but in fairness, I'm the one who took a nap before we recorded. <laughs> Vanessa, you're ready to record. Oh, let me take a 10-minute nap. <laughs> because naps are wonderful, and I know people out there agree with that. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Horrified American Monsters. Loved it. Great, great Halloween game. Not only is it a good Halloween, it's a good yeah. anytime game, but yeah. really good for Halloween. So I always like to bring back, and I can't remember um, what age it says to start with because I, I'm big on geography here lately. <laughs> it is a great way to even like bring in your kids and look at geography and learn about these different places in America. It's recommended 10 and up. That's spot on, 10 and up. Maybe even, I'm sure that there's some even a little bit younger than 10 that could do it, but definitely. Well, because it's co-op, mm-hmm. there's no reason why you can't mm-hmm. bring in And, and nothing is scary in it. No. It is a lot of great fun. Mm-hmm. Great this fun. It plays about 60 minutes, which seems about right. Yeah. That's yeah. about right. The designer is Michael Mulville. And again, uh, it's published by Ravensburger, who made the original Horrified. And now this is Horrified American Monsters. Now, before I let you get out of here, we did play one social deduction game that night. That was... (laughs) I'm making fangs, everybody. She's showing her fangs over here. Showing my fangs. This is a game by Cosmos that's based off of. I think that you had um... Shadow Hunters. Mm-hmm. I, I was just looking it up as you were you were talking. So this yeah. is an old game from 2006 <laughs> that's a re-implementation of a game called Shadow Hunters. Mm-hmm. And in this game, you're going to be one of three groups. You can be vampires, werewolves, or humans. And in typical social deduction faction, each of you is given a role and it's hidden from everybody else over the course of the game. You're trying to determine who is who because to win as the vampires, all the werewolves must be killed or Mm -hmm. eliminated. To win as the werewolves, all vampires must be eliminated. The humans are unique because each human has their own unique way to win. For example, Mm -hmm. one was be the first one killed, you (laughs) win. Yeah. Uh, if you're playing this and you come out as a human, the character card it tells you exactly what you do to have to win, but the others are pretty simple. Uh, the other groups try to knock each other out, basically. The whole game is simple fun, just all out fun. And it got to where it felt like an all out brawl. <laughs> That's what I appreciate about this game. What I love about it is if you've never played Shadowhunters before, there are cards put in the middle of the table that are locations. And on your turn, you're going to roll dice and you have a character or a piece that represents you that you have on on these cards. And you move that number of cards around uh, the circle. And when you land on a card, you're supposed to do something. For Typically, it's draw a card. And there's three types of cards in the game. There's a red card that you can draw, which is an event or an equipment that helps you fight. Or there's a blue card that can help you get defense. Or the green card, the oracle card, which I thought was the most interesting. Yeah, and you don't... I don't know if you made it sound like you you would move move around spaces in a circle. The The locations are in a circle. You roll the dice, whatever the number it is, you just go there. I said it totally wrong. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a roll and move. It's no. a roll. What goes and, and you only, go you, you, and you, go yeah, there. You don't, yeah. You just saved me $5. I appreciate that. Man, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. And the cards randomly put out every game. So mm-hmm. the way the cards are laid out is going to be different. Um, and then after that, after you resolve your card, and we'll talk about the green cards in a minute because I think those are the most interesting, the Oracle cards. Then you can launch an attack against the player. Mm-hmm. You can attack somebody that's on your card 
or the one that's next to you clockwise on the circle yeah. of cards. So you can't attack anybody mm-hmm. unless you happen to have a weapon like a crossbow, which actually allowed you to do that. Which I, I should have taken, but I didn't. <laughs> and attacking somebody is really straightforward in that you're going to roll the two die. One's a D4, one's a D6. Do the difference between the two. Subtract one from the other. That difference is the amount of damage that you deal to somebody. And there's also a damage board to track people's damage. Mm-hmm. And every character has a certain health value. Mm-hmm. If they're, they take so much damage that matches their health value, then they're eliminated from the game. So pretty straightforward. So basically, if I roll a three and a three, no damage is dealt. But if I roll a five and a one, four damage is dealt. And so as you're playing this, you're, you're trying to figure out by, oh, we left out something very important. Of course I at did, the because this is RDTN, and I tend to do that. <laughs> so at the beginning, we looked at our card. No, at the beginning, we got a card, and we passed it to the next. We we got a card. The we green read card, it. the oracle card. No. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I, maybe I shouldn't have had a nap. <laughs> I promise y'all I haven't had much caffeine. But <laughs> So we got a card. Mm-hmm. We read it. We pass it to the person to the left of us, and they have to answer it. Mm-hmm. So we started the game with a little bit of information. And the green cards, which I said the most interesting are oracle cards. I'm going to give you the most basic example of one. It could say, if you are a vampire, if the answer is yes, take a damage. If the answer is no, do nothing. Mm-hmm. So on my turn, if I land on a location that allows me to draw a green card, and I read Well, wait that. a minute. You start out the game by doing that. I, I understand. I'm just okay. explaining how the cards cards work okay. a- after that. Okay. Everybody resolves that. But let's say, for example, that I think Vanessa may be a vampire. So I just hand her that card face down. Nobody else can see what it is. She reads it. She silently either just discards it face down on the board so nobody sees what it is and does nothing, or she takes a damage. That gives me a lot of information. I know I either know she is either a vampire or for sure, she's either a werewolf or a human. Yeah, and I really like that. I really like that element of it. And I like starting out that everybody knows a little something, but nobody knows what anybody knows. To the person to your left. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows a little bit about something to the person to, to the left. left. Mm-hmm. So when you talked about it becoming a brouhaha later on the game. <gasps> brouhaha. The reason why is because Brugaroo. about 75% of the game, you pretty much know who everybody is at that point. And then it's just a fight. You've pretty much deduced, all right, these two are my team and I'm against these two. Well, there comes a time when you can reveal yourself. Like you don't have to keep yourself hidden. You can reveal yourself and then just... Why would you want to reveal yourself? Because there's a special ability that you can only use once you've been revealed. And it's pretty powerful. And if you feel like this new ability can make a difference in the game, anytime during somebody's turn, you can go, I am, flip the card over, and then that ability is useful to you. And there's a lot of different characters in this game. There's a lot of different vampires, a lot of different werewolves, and everybody has a unique ability. Some of them are a one-time powerful effect. Some of them are something that you can do the rest of the game. Yeah, which is another reason to reveal yourself so that mm-hmm. you would have that opportunity to continue to use that ability. Yeah, especially if people are starting to have already sussed you out as mm-hmm. to what you are. Mm-hmm. Why hide it anymore? Why Just hide come it? Out, boom, let's do this. Come out and kill some werewolves. That's right. Especially if... if or if, vampires. If you're a vampire, that's right. So I really like that in this aspect of social deduction games that you're not spending the whole game trying to determine who is who. Yeah. You will eventually find it out. You're trying to survive. And during that time early in the game, those cards that you get in front of you can do some bonus attacks. 
some additional damage. That's what those uh, new equipment cards do. So towards the end, everybody's buffed up with some new equipment. And then you're just going after people at that point. The big downside to this game is this game was designed in 2005 is it does have player elimination. And once you're eliminated, there's nothing you can do. Nope. And poor Kevin twice was eliminated first time. Early in the first game, he was eliminated. We played with eight people. He looked at his watch and he said, uh, by the way, I sat there for 15 minutes before the next person was eliminated. And mm. he was just bored. Yeah. This is an old school social deduction game design, like old school werewolf, where once you're out, there's really nothing you could do. I wish in this re-implementation, there was something they could have done that once you're eliminated, maybe you could have helped your teammates somehow or something. Because here's the nice thing is, if he was eliminated, for example, I can't remember what it was. Let's say he was a vampire that was eliminated. If the vampires eventually win, he still wins as a vampire, even though he was eliminated from the game. Because if the vampires eliminate all the werewolves, all the vampires win together, including him. So he still can participate in the victory. He just doesn't get to play the game anymore. Yeah. That is one downside, which is why I honestly think this game plays four to eight players. Mm -hmm. I think for me, six might be the sweet spot. Because if you're knocked out, the game probably isn't going to go on too much longer anyway. And also at that point, there's two werewolves, two vampires, and two humans. So everybody's kind of even. Oh, good point. Good point. I just like pretending to be a vampire. And <laughs> <laughs> what were you? Both times I was a vampire. I remember the second game, you came after me and it's like, she keep That's interesting too, but because everybody knows a little bit about somebody else, if nobody ever attacks you, you've got to start feeling good that they're probably on your team. Meanwhile, let's say Vanessa, why is she attacking me? She must know that I'm a vampire, which I got to start assuming that you're not a vampire and potentially a werewolf, so I should probably start attacking back. And what's interesting is, if somebody else knows that I'm a vampire, another one of my vampire teammates, they may turn their target towards you because you've attacked one of their teammates. It's a really, really cool social deduction game. Oh, yeah. And so, oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Do you like this more than just the basic werewolf? I'll just go ahead and while you think about it, I do because I like the concept of you get different locations you roll the dice you go to that location you don't move you just jump to that location and then like i said there's this whole concept of damage and attacking and eventually you will suss out who everybody is and then it's just trying to fight to the best of your ability which makes it a totally different game than basic werewolf first half of the game feels like standard werewolf though i didn't think so because like you were just saying i knew um a little bit about the person to my left then they knew about you. So like their first move was attacking you. So then therefore I deduced that I was probably in agreement with them. So I, I knew enough already in the beginning that I didn't, it didn't feel like that to me. And I didn't feel like in werewolf, you feel like everybody's after you. So in this one, I didn't feel like everybody was after me. I felt like we were more of, let's find out who's on our team. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. More than everybody's a werewolf. You know, this was, okay, who's on our team so we can defeat them. The only bad thing about the dice is that, remember, to attack somebody, you have to be on the same card as them or mm -hmm. the one in front of you. Yeah. And if you're trying to chase down somebody and the dice just don't go your way, it may be hard to attack the person that you're trying to take out because it's strictly determined on dice at that point. Hey, Marty. Yeah. It's called a game. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, my goodness. 
there has to be some mm. element of strategy and work. <laughs> you can't just willy-nilly go out and just, oh, I'll just attack anybody. But I want to attack anybody. Well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really enjoyed Fangs. We played it twice that night, and both times were a whole lot of fun. Only bad thing was the guy who just got knocked out first and happened to be the same person each time. So that's one of the, that's one and, of the bad things about player fluky. elimination. It was fluky it was stuff. Fluky. It, it, one of them just had to do with his car. So that is Fangs from Cosmos, and this is an inexpensive game. It's only $19.95. It is a great little social deduction game just to throw into your pack or something like that or keep on the shelf. Thematically, I really like it. Mm -hmm. Everything kind of makes sense. Again, if you've played Shadowhunters before, you know exactly how this game plays. And if you were looking for a copy of that, well, go pick up Fangs as this is pretty much the exact same thing. Yep, and our ages, I believe, are 10 and up on it also. Yeah, and the art on it's not overly gory. No. This probably a little tad more mature than maybe what Horrified is, but not not crazy. Yeah, like as far as the, yeah, as far I, as the I agree with that. As far as the fangs and everything. Yeah, yeah. Horrified is... It's kid-friendly. <laughs> Very much so. It's it's one of those ages, whatever it has, 10 to 99. So that wraps up uh, these two games we covered at, at the Bubiku. Uh, Christmas is around the corner. Maybe we can find some Christmas games to play or something like that. Do those even exist, everybody? I don't know if Christmas games. Sh- I'm sure there are. Christmas-themed games. But so just like Nightmare Before Christmas is so huge at Halloween and Christmas, you can play Horrified and Fangs at Christmas. Absolutely. <laughs> Monsters don't have a Christmas break. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> now, really, really enjoyed both of these games. I had a lot of fun playing them. All right, look, you've seen the issues with logistics, right? You've been warned to go ahead and do your Christmas shopping right now. So why don't you head over to miniaturemarket.com where they got a lot of games still in stock, but as time goes on, those games are going to start selling out and it's going to get harder to get those games back in stock. So you need to go look now over at miniaturemarket.com for either games for yourself, maybe you want to get yourself a little something, or maybe games for a friend. And if you're participating in our secret Santa, whoever's name you got, maybe you want to look at their wish list and see if those games are available for miniature markets. You can have your miniaturemarket.com and place that order right now. And also coming up, I don't know all the details, but they always do. A big Black Friday sale. You might not want to risk it. That game you're looking at may not be there by then. Just saying, but... Do keep your eye out on a big Black Friday sale coming from Miniature Market. If you want to sign up for the newsletter or look at their daily deals, make sure to head out over there every day to miniaturemarket.com. Ooh, Tony, that was a long segment earlier about Unfathomable. You were saying, okay, how much we do on the rest of the show will be dictated by uh, how long the Unfathomable segment went. And it, and it went kind of long. So we, we've adjusted some things. There's some things I was going to talk about this episode. It's going to be pushed to next episode. One of them I'm excited about is the Vampire Masquerade Rivals new expansion just came out. So I'll, I'll be talking about that. Bert and I have played it. So I, I give me a few more times to play it. And plus, I got some R- RPG source books from them that are really cool. Uh, but, uh, you know, hey, it's the it's the final segment of the show. It's kind of become the place where we get to geek out a little bit about uh, video games, except we have some really bad news. And 
Mm-hmm. You did you see it when it was announced on the day that Advance Wars the the remake was being delayed to spring 2022? No, I did not see that. I was on uh, I've missed a lot of my video game news, but I mean, I did get to, my daughter got the new Switch OLED mm-hmm. and I know you did. So I am quick in about a minute or so tell me is it was it worth it? The OLED uh, Switch, the bigger one? You know what? I meant to show you that at Bubikyu so you could see it. Mm. So here's the thing. I upgraded because I had a first-gen Switch with the weak battery. So as the battery just would not last long. So I upgraded to that for the battery, and the bonus was the OLED. If you already have a second-gen Switch, and especially if you play docked mainly, you do not need this at all. Don't buy it. If it mainly stays docked and you play on your TV, there is no need to buy this thing. But there is a visual difference between the regular switch and the OLED. It is noticeable after you play one and go back to the other, the colors are more washed out because it's backlit and the OLED is not backlit because each individual pixel turns on or off. So when they're off, it is pitch black. And like Metroid Dread has a lot of black backgrounds. On a regular Switch, it's kind of really dark gray, but on the OLED, it's pure black. Okay. And then you mentioned your other favorite thing, Metroid Dread, you big old... Well, hold on. I, I, you jumped away from Advance Wars. I was super bundled. That was my holiday game. That was my Christmas okay. game that I was ready to play because it was supposed to come out early December, and now it's going to be spring. There's a lot of other games coming out in the spring, so I was bummed. But here's the thing. Get it right. Uh, I'm okay with that. Don't rush it. Just get it right. I was just disappointed that it's not coming out. I do have Metroid Dread that I'm absolutely loving. I'm over halfway through the game. Uh, it's not a very long game, maybe 10, 12 hours. It's getting hard. This is not an easy game. And for me, who's not the best gamer in the world, it it takes a lot of time to try to kill a boss. Uh, there's a lot of, of pattern recognition and kind of learning what to do, when and where. Uh, but I'm still very much enjoying the game. I wish there was a little more story in it. And uh, when I finish it up, I, I'll probably do a review um, somewhere on it. And I continue my Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but I'm going to have to ramp up my difficulty level because I'm finding that it's getting boring. And I'm like, why is this not so much fun anymore? And it's like, because nothing's a challenge. Because I'm getting better at using the control. I still have some trouble, but... You know, I need to move on. I need to figure out something else to do. So I'm, I'm wait, like you, like you, Advanced Wars. That was what was going to break me away from that for a while. So, hey, I got till now spring. So maybe I'll be done with it. I have no idea. Do you have any interest in the remake of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl? You know, I, I would occasionally get the hair to go do that. Mm-hmm. But then I would like buy them for the Game Boy and I'd play it for a little bit. And I'm like, nah. You know, maybe it's one of those things where it was it was such a novelty back then that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed um, leveling them up and doing the story. Now I don't know why it just doesn't seem there. You know, I don't know why. It's just not a. I just I just didn't know because it's more of an old school type Pokemon. Sword and Shield was a newer, you know, experience, mm-hmm. and this is kind of going back to old school. And uh, finally, yeah. So Age of Empires four is out. I have not played yet. Uh, but I will be playing it uh, when it comes out in the next few days. I loved Age of Empires. The reviews are coming in. They said, you know what? It really doesn't add anything new. But if you like the first Age of Empires, you'll like this one. Well, I like the first Age of Empires. So I'm looking forward to going back and trying that. Speaking of historical games. Yes. And that was a uh, real-time uh, RTS. Is that what we called them? A real-time RTS. Well, it's an RTS. Real-time strategy. Okay. 
So I, I remember doing the original one. Is that the one with Joan of Arc and all that good stuff in it? Uh, I can't remember. It was one or two. I played. I played a lot of one and two or three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I remember bogging down in that. Where I eventually I was just like, okay, waiting for the trebuchet. But I, I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about Age of Empires Four. That'll be. And of course, right now I know that you are in the middle of pumpkin questing in Guild Wars. Uh, yeah. So I haven't played a lot, but the elite specializations. Um, are coming out tomorrow at the time of this recording to try out some new specializations for the new expansion. So I'll be trying that. And I also found out a contact that we had at ArenaNet, uh, Justin Fasaro, also designs games for GMT. And he had said Ooh. when this expansion comes out, he would come on the show and talk to us about behind the scenes at ArenaNet and Guild Wars 2 and the expansion. I don't know. Maybe he'd be interested in talking about, wow, there's a guy that has this video game that we love, but he's also a, a board game designer with historical games. Bring him. Let's go. Let's do that. That'll be a Sometime blast. next we'll year. Just, it'll just be sometime next year because you and I will just basically sit there and be talking to him and everybody else can just white noises. Right. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I did see when I was on my trip, I, we were walking through a mall because I went to a game store. And they, unfortunately, I was going to buy something, support the local game store, but they didn't have anything in there that I, I was looking for Subastral. The rest of them, you know, yeah. uh, that's what I wanted to buy, but they didn't have it, unfortunately. But I did see a shirt and it said, um, all hell, the pumpkin king. And I said, Ooh, is that the one from Guild Wars? And, um, cause wasn't he the pumpkin? Uh, king? Mad King Thorn. Mad King Thorn. I was like, "What? What's this shirt from?" I asked the clerk, and she goes, "That's from the was it Nightmare Before Christmas or something like." Oh that. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yep. Yeah. So I was like, "Oh, because I would have got that shirt, but I couldn't remember if when she said that." I said, "Well, that's not the Guild Wars shirt." Mm, gotcha. I know you love all this weird TV stuff, but no, I have not watched the hot new oh, show Squid Game. Squid Game was so good. So that's the Korean show. If, if you're listening to this, you've probably heard people talking about it. In fact, the shirt that Bert wore the other day was Squid Game references. The shapes on his shirt came from Squid Game. Okay. And it's one, I love shirts like that because either you get it or you don't. So if you see it. I didn't. Yeah, see? And you're like, well, I don't know what he's, what's going on there. I was like, oh, Squid Game. I know what that is. I don't know. If you haven't watched uh, Squid Game, I, I recommend it. It's, it's a good watch. Most people liked it. I'm now trying to also work through Cowboy Bebop, the anime, uh, before the live action version comes out in uh, November. And uh, how blue, how's Blue Bloods going for you? Uh, we haven't watched it in a while, um, so we're we're behind because of the vacation. But we we're trying to make through it. I started up season eight of the Great British Bake Off. You're, you're almost there. So you're two seasons away. Is that right? Have you you've seen Kim? So you've passed Kim Joy, right? No, no, oh. Kim Joy's not there yet. This is uh, two seasons from Kim Joy. It's season 12 now. Oh, it's 12. I thought it was 10. Jeez. No, no. I know there's a lot there, but we're, we're, it's one of those now that the DVR is filling up. It's an occasional, you know what? I just feel like watching the baking show. But is Prue there yet? Prue and Noel? They all started up. Yeah, they, they got everybody else. Is, Paul's still there, but it's Prue and Noel and the short one. Yeah, I can't whatever. remember her name. She's not there anymore. Well, they don't say why this happened. It's basically, here they are. Yeah, so from what I understand is the show changed networks or the people, the two previous hosts went to another network. It was a network thing. Uh, Once they were the network or the show changed network, I can't remember the exact history, but that's why it happened. But um, 
I, I love Peru and I love Noel because he was from IT crowd. So I just think he's a, he's a really funny comedian and the host he's with now, I think Matt Lucas and him are, are, are really, really good together. So you got a few more seasons to get to that point, but cool. Y'all are cranking through them. Yes, we are, but not like I would keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey y'all. Thanks for listening. Hey, we're coming up on our big anniversary episode which is going to mean giveaways. So make sure to head over to our Discord channel, which is going to be one of the main ways that you can win prizes for this year's anniversary episode. Plus join our BGG Guild 1589. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Dyson Names. See you next time. That's a couple things I'll highlight again for for differences. The one was the... um, Why do I keep just my mind blowing i'm sorry marty i'm gonna make all kind of editing for you Uh, easy peasy um i'm lost it man i I was so excited about it too one hour later i remembered what i was gonna talk about i was gonna talk about of uh, course you did yeah it's like right after y'all went into something oh "Oh, yeah no, I was going to oh talk about gosh. the Cylon sympathizer and the cultist because oh, yeah. I enjoyed yeah. the cultist, but I always take the sympathizer out. That and I was I was yeah. going to tell in the experience about uh, me telling Bert like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs>